Blog Talk Radio. the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, from BamaMag.com and Scout.com, joined back in the studio by Thomas Watts of Touchdown, Alabama Magazine. And we'll be joined in hour number two from our hardworking co-host, Drew Bjornland, who is working the Northwest Regional at uh, Wallace of Hansville for the Alabama High School Athletic Association's uh, basketball playoffs. We've seen a lot of exciting girls and boys action today, and you'll have a report on that in hour two including a look at the basketball prowess of one Bama commitment and ratio defensive man, Christian Bell, who played today for a winning Hoover team. We will have that for us in hour two. But in hour one, we will be hearing uh, in a few minutes, about 20 after the hour, from Mike Quinneville, Coach Q from the Alabama hockey team. The Frozen Tide continues their quest to make the Frozen Four at the uh, Pelham Civic Complex. Uh, but they've got some more to do before that, and Coach Q will fill us in on that. In hour number two, we are going to be joined by Roger Myers, a longtime booster and fan and very uh, opinionated and very well-informed person to do with the Alabama baseball program as they prepare to open their season at the Hoover Met uh, in very cold temperatures this weekend against Maryland Eastern Shore. Meanwhile, uh, I have had an opportunity in the last 24 hours to speak with two different sources. And, uh, well, it really appears that something Drew and I have talked about for weeks now is on the cusp of happening. And what I'm talking about specifically is another addition to Nick Saban's Alabama staff. Uh, it appears that either in an off-field or on-field, probably the former role, uh, we expect in the next week or 10 days Coach Saban to announce Hoover head coach Josh Niblett as a member of his staff. Uh, this comes from two different sources, uh, both of which know a lot of people. Uh, the first source feels like it will begin as an off-field role, uh, perhaps maybe grooming Josh for a year or two to replace Bobby Williams whenever Bobby decides to go off-field. Bobby coaches tight ends and special teams, and those are two of Josh's uh, areas of expertise. Another source uh, that texted me this morning feels like that Josh may have a chance to go straight to the field, which would be uh, kind of not normally the way Saban does things when he hires someone from outside the program that doesn't have former college experience. Josh has been a great high school coach, won a number of state championships at Hoover, also had success at Oxford and Aniana, where he won state at Aniana as well. And Josh, uh, if you don't know the name Josh, other than being a high school coach, he actually was a uh, – a scholarship guy at Southern Miss for a year, but uh, as a Demopolis native, he wanted to come to Tuscaloosa and play the remainder of his, of his football, and he did that. He transferred uh, for the year as a scout team quarterback and then uh, got a letter or two as a backup tight end and fullback for Dean Stallings back in the mid-'90s. Uh, now, nothing is official yet, um, but it just looks very, very, very much like the name Josh Nibbett will be the next one announced. Um, Joe Panunzio vacated his job 
by moving on to an on-field role at another school last week. Uh, he's a director of uh, football operations. I don't really think that would be Josh's cup of tea, but it appears that in some type of role that Josh Midland is very, very close to joining the Alabama staff. Uh, I don't want to hear. I don't want to say you've heard it here first, but Drew and I have discussed it ad nauseum, and uh, it looks like it's very, very, very close to happen. Uh, in other news, at the Capstone, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the baseball team will be opening up Friday uh, night, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon in their temporary home for this season, the Hoover Met. Uh, they'll be playing Maryland Eastern Shore, and uh, we'll go over the pitching matchups. And uh, what I believe from good sources to be a, a good guest at a starting lineup, uh, we'll talk about that in hour number two when Roger Myers joins us. Uh, the Frozen Tide hockey team, I mentioned we're going to have Coach Q on in a few minutes. Uh, they, Since we talked about them last and, and had Coach Q on a few weeks ago, they had a split with Ole Miss. They had a three-game sweep of LSU, and then they finished third place this past weekend in the SEC tournament in Pella, beating Vanderbilt in the third-place game. Uh, but it appears they've got some more work to do uh, before they can qualify for the Frozen Four. It appears they're going to need to play and do well in a regional tournament in Florida, but Coach Q will have those details for us when he joins us in about 15 minutes. Um, the Alabama softball team is uh, out to a stirring start, 7-0. Uh, most recently, last night, came up here to Birmingham and took a 7-1 victory over Sanford, and uh, Alabama had a, a very, very tight opening night victory on the campus of South Alabama. I come from behind 2-1, to one, and I was curious if you got to watch that, Thomas. I was unable to watch it. I've been uh, – Mardi Gras is in full swing down here, and I've been trying to juggle uh, graduate school and Mardi Gras responsibilities. Well, speaking of Mardi Gras, why don't you tell the listeners about a unique uh, role that you're playing in this year's Mobile version? Sure. Uh there is there's a parade every Sunday, the Sunday before Fat Tuesday, called the Joe Kane Parade. It was started by a guy. He really restarted Mobile Mardi Gras in the 1860s. Well, leading the parade this year will be Citizen Joe Kane, played by Thomas Watts. There's more to the story besides the fact that Thomas is going to be in a long sleeve shirt, vest, tie, and frock coat, and I'm actually dyeing my hair brown, which is going to be hilarious. But my great-grandfather was a big masker for Mobile. He, he basically won the old dress-up competitions. Like, in between, like, 1930 to the middle of the 50s, Mobile would have a, a competition where who could be dressed up as the most festive or the most realistic. And my uncle walked away, like, 25 years in a row with the championship. He would dress up. That he did Queen Elizabeth, and this was this was in like the 30s and the 40s. So sometimes he did the drag thing where he'd put on makeup and he was Queen Elizabeth. The one that I will always remember, and we have a picture of, is in 1938. My uncle dressed up as Adolf Hitler and goose stepped down Government Boulevard in downtown Mobile. Now, for the non-history people, 1938 was the year before the German army invaded Poland and began World War II. Well, the official, they'd already been doing some things, but I won't bore you with the details. He was booed out of the city. But, you know, that that's what I'll be doing this Sunday, and I'm sure there will be pictures on Facebook and on Twitter. So if you follow the BAMS radio account, be sure to keep an eye out for those and at least have a laugh at the producer's expense. 
Yeah, uh, Adolf Hitler, huh? He pulled it off. It, it was it was it was pretty eerie to see that picture. It's like, wow, if I didn't know any better, that he pulled that off really well. Well, throwing off on an old movie line, uh, it was not over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor, nor was it over when Adolf walked the little bay. This is true. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be here. I'll be here for another hour and a half. A uh, little, little bit of an apology for my uh, my voice tonight. Uh, the fraud of it has invaded my throat as a result of the fact that Birmingham weather goes from 61 to 30 the next, and my poor old body just doesn't adapt as well as used to to such crazy climate changes. But I'll I'll weather the storm, and we will make it for the for the full two-hour show tonight. Uh, I also forgot to ask you, Thomas, uh, since we're in the business of putting you on the spot tonight, sure. Uh, were you able to uh, Were you able to get to McGill too in a couple of weeks ago and see Dazon Ingram and Theodore play? Uh, I was not. I'm. I had. Let's just say that I'm doing research right now that has changed two times, and I was just told because of the people paying for the research, I can't use a chunk of what I've been working on because it's for American demographics, and we're not legally allowed to research Americans. That's all I can okay. say. Okay. <laughs> But well, no, I, I did not. I it just it fell through the cracks. Well, all right. Uh, he uh, is actually he being Dazon is actually in Dothan this week. Uh, got a victory today uh, and needs, I believe, one more win to advance to uh, the final four in Birmingham here at the BJCC. Not too far from me, and I'm really hoping he gets that win because I haven't seen him play, and I really want to. And uh, Brandon Austin and Carver. Uh, ironically, are not in the Akadome Montgomery. They're playing in Dothan as well, but they, uh, I believe, are two wins away from getting here to Birmingham. The other time, he, uh, the gentleman from Luburn, uh, he got eliminated in the first round. I'm talking about Dante Hall, the 16 kid. Got eliminated in the first round of the region tournament and did not make it to the uh, the state sub-regional. So his uh, high school career is over. Uh before we go on, I want to remind everybody that uh, Big Head's Barbecue uh, is a great place to get your catering done in South Alabama. Uh, our hotline that we take calls on is the Big Head's Barbecue Hotline here on BAMS Radio. And that number, if you want to call in and ask a question or give us a comment, is 714-510-3707. Uh, once again, that number, area code 714 510 you can check them out at bigheadsbbq.net or on Twitter at bigheadsbbq. They cater private parties, uh, church events, uh, civic clubs, sports groups, uh, anywhere that about six or more people gather. Uh, Chuck Peake can hook you up with his various forms of great barbecue, which include briskets, chicken, pork, ribs, and my favorite, the triple threat, which is a piece of pork with a small sausage planted in the middle wrapped in bacon, and you can drizzle it with uh, Chuck's homemade barbecue sauce, which is outstanding. Also has great side items, such as uh, baked beans, potato salad, coleslaw, the list goes on and on. Uh, you can give Chuck a call and, uh, and book it at the end of the pricing at 251-379-0094. Uh, that number again, if you want to check out Big Head Barbecue, 251-379-0094. And I'm pleased to announce that for those of you that get a chance to visit the BAMS radio tent for a day on Saturday, April 18th, uh, Big Head Barbecue will be catering that event as well. 
want to move on to some uh, other Alabama sports news. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, Thomas. Uh, it was not exactly what Dr. Naismith had in mind when he mailed up the first peach bags, baskets uh, all that those years ago, but uh, a rare and important road victory was procured in a rather ugly fashion, but procured nonetheless by the Alabama basketball team uh, on two nights ago in Starkville. Did you get a chance to catch any of that? I caught a little bit of it, and uh, I, you know, I'm going to see the glasses half full. A win is a win is a win, and uh, I'm glad to be out with one. But yeah. it's not pretty. No, and, you know, they had an eight-point lead with uh, they being Alabama with uh, under a minute to play and quickly proceeded to throw two consecutive inbounds passes into the hands of Mississippi State offensive players who scored and immediately, immediately cut the lead down to four points, but um, were able to make one out of two free throws a couple of times uh, in the last minute to survive. Uh, it, it, it was a good road victory. Um, there's really no such thing as a bad road victory in, in SEC basketball. Uh, they made plays when they had to. I'll, I'll give them credit for that. Uh, that's about as far as I can go, but it, it was a good win. And uh, they're hosting Vanderbilt on Valentine's night. Uh, this coming Saturday at Coleman Coliseum at 7 p.m. Also a winnable game. Uh, I did not get a chance to watch Vanderbilt give away uh, a sure victory against Tennessee last night, but I did hear about it. Uh, Vanderbilt should have won in regulation and then began fouling intensely Tennessee early. And it backfired apparently on them. And that allowed the game to get into overtime. So uh, Vanderbilt's coming off a tough loss to their state rival. Vanderbilt's a team that lives and dies by the three-pointer, has been for years. If Alabama on its home court can successfully defend that three-pointer, if that means staying in zone the whole game, so it'll be it, then they have a definite chance to beat Vanderbilt um, and, and get a much-needed win. Uh, that would Alabama. be huge. Well, Kerry, I No, I, I wanted to shift from basketball because, quite honestly, basketball is just going to do nothing but piss us off. Because it's it's really college basketball as a whole is painful to watch, and Alabama basketball in particular. I wanted to ask you about a football thing, and I'm going to put you on the spot this time. My turn. Did you have a chance to see the proposed rule changes that the NCAA, that Rogers Redding is actually pushing? The only one that I saw was the reduction in the definition of offensive linemen blocking downfield uh, from three yards to one. That's the one I wanted to bring up because and I'm not learned enough about it to know much, but I'm told by people that know more than me that it will have an effect on the hurry up no hole offenses. It will, uh, and I can I can explain that. That that's what I, I was hoping you would you would kind of launch that softball for me. Swing but, play, sir. Well, it it's a big deal because if you look at a lot of what the hurry up no huddle offense does, it wants to get you in awkward awkward get you to read traditional keys and read them incorrectly. The best example I can think of that would that was legal when it happened but would be illegal now was the play in the Iron Bowl two years ago where Auburn got that long touchdown because it looked run, looked run and then it turned into a pass. That play would be illegal because 
the linemen were run blocking. Run blocking is generally what you want to do. You want to engage with your man, and you want to either try and drive them out of the hole or just drive them further down the field. That is a key that defenses play off of. They start swarming towards the run. Well, with the three-yard variance, it was hard to call if you had an ineligible player downfield when the thing that looked run turned into a pass. With the one-yard variance, basically, if a pass is thrown and a guy has gone at all beyond the line of scrimmage, which shouldn't ever really happen on a pass unless it's a screen, which and there are different rules def- defining a screen, but I won't, I won't waste everyone's time explaining that. It basically means those run-pass option looks that have become so prevalent where the defense reads it correctly but doesn't read it correctly because it's kind of a weird rule that should be called more often, that's going to happen. That call is going to happen a lot more. It's going to be easier to key your defense. And I think it's not going to slow down the hurry-up, no huddle, because the tempo will still be there. But some of the things that we've seen over the past few years with those weird run-pass option plays that don't really look right, those will be those will be a five-yard penalty now, which, again, if this rule had been in, in place for the Iron Bowl two years ago, Alabama wins that game because that touchdown was illegal. That's that's the most basic way I can explain it. Thomas, I also saw something about a proposal for one extra official. Uh, if that goes through, how will that affect the hurry up? Well, the SEC this past year had one crew with eight officials. And I think the rule is going to not be it's mandated, but it's allowed. It's not a test. It's it's really a nomenclature change. I would expect some crews to keep rolling out with eight. And what it means is some of the hurry-up stuff, some of the problems with the hurry-up are that people don't get set or a referee can't check his checklist. On every play, a referee or an official, not, not not the referee, an official in a football game has a checklist of things he needs to look for. Generally, it's by quadrant. So, like, if I am the referee and I'm standing right behind the quarterback, I'm looking for false starts or movement on the offensive line because it's pretty obvious from where I'm standing. If I'm a side judge, I'm checking to make sure they have enough guys on the line of scrimmage, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what was happening was that the hurry-up-no-huddle offense were going so fast that some of the formations were not technically legal. They could just not be caught and it's not that they were drawn up illegal, it's that they were either illegally, excuse me, it's that they were not executed properly by the offense because they were trying to go so fast. So what will hopefully happen is, so again, some of the kind of weird plays that you see where you have a gazillion guys in the backfield and it doesn't look legal will get called because the, the spheres, the areas of responsibility for the officials will be smaller. And particularly when the guy, the one that will be most affected by it is the, I think it's the back judge that spots the ball. So instead of the back judge having to put the ball down and sprint to basically where the middle linebackers line up or a couple of yards deeper, another guy has to do that. And so the back judge can do his job or maybe it's the field judge. I, I don't, I'm not sure of the names. I just know where they officiate. So it's, it's one of those things, it is kind of geared toward 
it's not geared towards slowing down the hurry up no huddle. It's geared towards making it so that some of the very flagrant advantage that the hurry up no huddle produces in a very questionable context in terms of football legality, in terms of inside the rules football, that doesn't happen anymore. So it, it, it's kind it, it's a slap it, it's kind of a slap on the hurry up no huddle, but I would if I was arguing the case. I would say it's better for football in general so that the big play is not a missed personal foul between winning a game or not, because nobody is satisfied with that. that that's my opinion. No, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, try to reach Coach Q, and I want to talk a little bit about Alabama gymnastics while you work on that. Uh, I had a chance to attend my first gymnastics meet of this season. I've been many times in the past, obviously, but my first gymnastics meet of this season, this past uh, Friday night in Coleman Coliseum, and I watched the Crimson Tide, which is ranked sixth in the country right now, take its 111th consecutive victory over the Auburn Tigers. Uh, the meet was closed for a while, uh, one, two rotations maybe, and then Alabama began to pull away. Uh, Alabama had a very excellent performance on both the beam and the floor, while Auburn struggled. Uh, to put it nicely, but uh, that's 111 in a row and 1-0 for Coach Vanna Duckworth. And uh, I actually got to meet senior gymnast uh, Caitlin Clark, who is no relation, but I told her that she was my uh, unofficial adopted niece because she's such a great gymnast and she was very kind and generous. Took a picture with me, and then she asked me when I told her I was a fellow Clark. She asked me, uh, "Do you have the E on the end?" She doesn't. And I don't. And I said, no, my dad always tell me that the Richards had to eat, and she got a big kick out of that. So uh, really nice to meet uh, Caitlin Clark and, and to watch Coach uh, Coach Dana Duckworth get her first victory as head coach over the Auburn Tigers and Masters program. That being said, on Sunday afternoon, um, March the 8th, Alabama will have another meeting against Auburn, and it will be at the BJCC Arena here in Birmingham. And that is one to watch because the 111th Street will be in somewhat jeopardy because the Alabama team will be coming off a road meet that particular Friday uh, at Missouri. And then they'll have a turnaround 36 hours later and have a meet against Auburn in Birmingham. Uh, so keep, keep a close eye on that. And the uh, gymnastics team is at home again tomorrow night. It's the annual Power Peak meet to uh, raise money for, for cancer. And uh, they'll be playing Boise State in that meet, and they'll also be honoring retired coaches Sarah and David Patterson. So that's something to uh, to look at as well. If you get a chance to go down to Coleman Coliseum Friday night, do so and, and support the gymnastics team. Uh, unless you're uh, braving the elements and sitting out in the cold watching the baseball team against Maryland Eastern Shore at the Mat, you can do that as well tomorrow night. Um, but that being said, we're going to move on to our next segment and our first guest of the evening on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. Ironically, a guy who has uh, personal friends with Chuck Peake, the owner of Big Head Barbecue. I want to bring on to the show uh, Alabama Frozen Tide hockey head coach Mike Quinneville. Coach Q, what's going on? Hey, I'm doing just fine tonight. Um, you know, I, I must say that you know I, I do know Chuck, but I haven't had his barbecue yet. I'm pretty mad about it. How are you guys doing? Well. If you can get down to A-Day, 
I don't know what the schedule for hockey is on Saturday, April 18th, but if you can get down to A-Day, he's going to be catering the band radio camp, and you're more than welcome to join us. Oh, man, that sounds great. I'll have to look at that. All right. Uh, well, let's review uh, what's going on since we spoke to you last. Uh, you had a split against Ole Miss. You had a sweep against a new LSU team that's uh, pretty much in its infancy. And then you had a third-place finish this past weekend in the SEC tournament, uh, also in Pelham. Coach Q, that being said, um, what is next for the Frozen Tide? Well, we're, we're we're sitting on pins and needles right now. We're waiting for our phone call to see where we place in the South uh, region. Um, if we're currently in second, going into the new ranking period, which the rankings come out tonight, tomorrow. If we're in the top two uh, spots, we go directly to the national championship tournament, which is going to be held in Pelham in March, um, March 10th through the 14th. If we uh, if we end up third through tenth, we have to travel to Orlando, Florida next weekend to play in what they call a uh, um, uh, and a tournament where we have to win in order to get qualified to go to the nationals. So hopefully tonight uh, we get a phone call saying that hey we're number one or two and uh, we get to go straight to nationals and, and play in our home rink in Pelham, Alabama. Excellent and and. Do you have a gut feeling at all on how it's going to go? Well, I wish I could say I do, but I really I don't. You know, we we've had a great uh, great season this year. We're twenty three uh, three. Uh, we had two ties and one overtime loss. Every loss of the three was one goal one goal difference uh, against the top teams in the country. You know, we feel pretty good about it, but um, you just never know. You know, I think people in the back of their mind. Um, you know we're Alabama, and and even though um, you know we got a great athletic department and, and athletic programs, some people kind of hold that against us. So you know how rankings go. Uh, we, we're just not sure, but we hope to be the, the number one or two spot so we can uh, you know go directly to nationals and, and play in our home barn. But that would be great. And if, if by chance you get that news uh, before nine central. If you could perhaps uh, shoot me a message on Twitter and I can announce it to our fans what you find out, that would be great, Coach. Oh, absolutely. I'll be glad to do it. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a great tournament. Um, it will be the top 16 teams from across the country will be coming to Pelham, Alabama, March 10th through the 14th. Um, there will be eight games on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then um, they'll figure out who's in the semis. So there will be two games on Friday. And then there'll be one game on Saturday um, playing for the national championship. So it's five games in five days to win it all. And, uh, you know, right right here in, in Pelham, Alabama, we're pretty excited about it. We just hope we're there. No, we sure do, too. And of course, if you uh, do get selected for that, or even if you have to go to Orlando and win your way into it, we definitely want to have you back on band between now and then. But let's recap uh, what's going on uh I mentioned the results, but let, let's take it uh, one series at a time, uh, dating back to the last time we spoke to you. When we last had you on band, you were heading into the Ole Miss series. Uh, that turned out to be a split, including an overtime loss. Uh, what? And I know there's been a lot of hockey played since then, but looking at that Ole Miss series three weeks ago, uh, what, what goes through your mind or what could have been? 
You know, we're, 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 we're a great hockey team. And for some reason, you know, you always got that one team that, that gives you a lot of heartache and headache. And, 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 and of course, when anybody plays the University of Alabama, they always bring their A game. And, and Ole Miss not having a great season came into Pelham and they brought their A game. And, you know, we were very prepared. We we're ready. And, um, you know, they just played a great game against us. And, um, I don't know if it's if it's their coaching style or playing style or whatever, but you know that first night it was tied, um, it was back and forth, very a lot of excitement, and then uh, you know that's the night we lost, um, and then the next night, you know we changed a few things, um, and um, you know proved to be uh, a good thing that we did because you know we won I think uh, five to three that night, but. You know, great series. Uh, Ole Miss has got a great program. We respect them. You know, last couple of years, you know, they've been they've been a tough competitor, and, and, and we're happy for that. But um, you know, of course, we don't like to lose, and and uh, especially you know, winding down the season, going into playoffs, you never want to lose a game. But you know, um, they brought their A game, and, and they played a great game against us, and, and tied us in, in in on Friday night, and then they won in overtime. All right, and then, uh, and first, let me give you a little background, Coach. Uh, there's a long joke running with Alabama and LSU, and it's mainly football. But the joke is that at some point years ago, I think it's the 80s, Auburn played LSU down in Baton Rouge. And upon returning from the trip, an Auburn fan was quoted as saying, wow, those fans at LSU, they're, they're strange. They, they smell like corn dogs. Well... Since then, there's been this running dialogue between not only Auburn and LSU, but also Alabama and LSU, where we call them corn dogs, not just tigers, but we call them corn dogs, and not in a loving manner. So when I heard you guys were playing LSU for a three-game series in Pelham, uh, not knowing the background of LSU hockey, I made a joke about, hey, uh, made, I made this on Twitter, and they've seen it. Maybe if we win, our fans can throw corn dogs onto the ice. You know, kind of a takeoff on the uh, the Octopi that are throwing the ice in Detroit. Anyway, that being said, three days later, I was kind of disappointed in myself because I didn't realize that apparently this is LSU's first year to have a team, and you guys destroyed them all three games. Uh, and, and really, I guess it was an experience for LSU to come in here and play such a great team as yours. But uh, what can you tell us about the input LSU hockey program and then what transpired that three-game weekend? You know they um, they they had a program um, uh, up until about two years ago, and then they got into the numbers game where, you know, just like us, we got so many kids on campus that are from out of state that have played hockey growing up, and and you know by the time they get to college, you know, they they, they pledge to a fraternity, and and then other things take over, and they don't want to play hockey no more. And I think that's what's uh, what's happened to LSU. Um, so last year they were on probation. They're, they're, all the coaches uh, in our annual meeting accepted them back into the program this year on a probationary st- status saying, you know, hey, if you get the number of players, you make all your games, then we'll consider you full-time uh, member 2015-2016. Um, so, you know, LSU being who they are and, and such a big competitor to, uh, to to Alabama, you know, it's very important for us to schedule games like that. Um and, you know, we knew coming in that, you know, they, they've struggled this year. But, you know, they brought up 16 players, I believe, that um, with a, a losing record. 
and they knew what they were up against, being Alabama, number two in the South, probably number four nationwide in the rankings, and they still came with a full team. So, you know, um, give them a lot of credit. They're trying to build the program. We're trying to help them build the program because at the end of the day, uh, if every team builds a program like us, it's going to be a great conference and and great hockey, and and that's what we try to do. But, you know, they came up, and, and, you know, and we're just – pretty deep you know we we didn't play our top two lines um we played our third fourth and fifth lines guys that hadn't played a whole lot all season and and um you know we 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 executed you know we're trying to get prepared for nationals for the sec tournament and we prepared pretty well and uh we 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 had a great game against them pretty blowout really but uh again i didn't have all the facts when i was making my jokes about throwing corn dogs on the ice maybe Mm -hmm. they get back competitive we can talk about that but uh, then uh, you had uh, a chance to host the SEC tournament. Uh, you got an opening night win against Tennessee, which I know is always good because that's a rivalry in any sport. I don't care if it's football, Tennessee, chess, checkers, you know, spades, whatever. Alabama, Tennessee is a big deal. Uh, take us through first the Tennessee game and then what transpired the remainder of the SEC tournament, please, Coach. Okay. Well, the first round, you're correct. We, we, we had Tennessee on the, on the schedule. Um, we we didn't know what to expect from them. They've had a pretty good year. Uh, last year they struggled quite a bit, but they got some new recruits this year. And um, not having film on them, we knew that um, we actually were looking at a couple of their kids um, <clears throat> to come here this year. That instead of coming to Alabama, they went to Tennessee. So we knew we we knew they had a few players that could play the game. So we prepared. We we came up with I guess our best game plan and. We went out there, and I think we scored two goals in the first four minutes, which um, really um, let the air out of their sail, which was pretty nice. And then, uh, you know, we just kept on playing a great game. We had some great saves by our freshman goalie, who was also first-team All-SEC, John Grenier out of Massachusetts, uh, made some great saves late in the first period. And I think uh, we went in for nothing. And then I think the final score was nine to two, but you know, a great, great three periods of hockey. Um, then we had to play the winner of the South Carolina. Um, I can't remember who they played. Um, but anyways, we, we ended up playing South Carolina in the semifinals. Again, another team that's, you know, top in the SEC East. Um, we did, uh, we're fortunate to go to their house uh, back in November we ended up beating them five to nothing, and um, you know, it's a great game. We played Georgia Friday night, and then we left Athens and drove to to Irmo, South Carolina, late Friday. Got there late, and able to come out and beat them five nothing. But we knew that um, that was probably the best team that we've played all year. So coming into the semifinals of the SEC tournament, you know, South Carolina had their number one goalie. They had their their big guns, and and we knew we were in the game and. You know, a lot of people want to talk about the finals and us playing Arkansas, and I'm like, hold, wait a minute, you know, we got a tough opponent in, in South Carolina. Let's talk about them first. And sure enough, you know, it was a game that was back and forth, back and forth, and we ended up losing four to three. And you know, hats off to them. You know, they 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 capitalized on three opportunities and scored goals. That was probably the difference. Um, you know, we made three mistakes the whole game, and, and they scored. So. You know, when you have things not going your way like that, uh, things happen. Um, 
So that left us with Sunday morning. We had to play Vanderbilt for the consolation or third place. And, um, you know, we, we had a few guys uh, with disciplinary actions uh, come in Sunday morning. So we had to sit our top four players uh, on, the pro, on, on the team uh, coming up against a very strong Vanderbilt that we beat, I think, by two goals earlier in the year on one night and maybe one goal uh, the following night. So we knew we were going to battle. Um, it was very important us, for us to win because of the standings for the South region to see about where we would end up to go to the national championship tournament. And, uh, you know, we were down 3-1 to one going into about 10 minutes left in the game in the third period. And, um, you know, called a timeout and, and looked at these guys and, and, you know, we told them we believed in them. You know, we, we were very deep. We got a great team and uh, we changed a few things and, boy, we got a 3-2, uh, we made it 3-3. And I think we tied it up 4-4, or no, we went up 4-3 and then they tied it late in the game to 4-4. So we then we went in the sudden death overtime and I think uh, Jonathan Laverne, who's uh, a freshman out of Connecticut, uh, scored with 10 seconds left to go in, in that uh, overtime. And um, it was just, uh, you know, a great thing for us to be down 3-1, to one, come back, win 4-3 in overtime, and, and uh, make that statement in the in the, in the the standing. So great uh, great finish to the season. You know, we're not happy because we lost that semifinal game. But, you know, when we look at three guys in the first team, SEC, all SEC, we had 13 academic All-Americans, uh, in our conference, um, you know, to finish 23-3, 2-1 record, you know, is a great effort amongst um, 30 players and five coaching staff members. No, it's certainly been a great season, and uh, we, we our hats are off to you. Uh, we appreciate what you do for the University of Alabama. Uh, tell the fans about your situation, Coach. I understand that you actually live in Huntsville and have to commute down to practicing games. I do. So I sell electronic components via the day, and then at night I travel uh, Highway I-65 um, up to four nights a week uh, to practice in Pelham, Alabama. So, you know, I've been very fortunate growing up having some great coaches in upstate New York, a little town called Messina, up on the Montreal border. And, um, you know, I came down on ice hockey scholarship to play for UAH and coached at UAH, won the two uh, – National Championships, NCAA Division II, 96 through 98. Then I was asked to help out Alabama, and I, I took it up. And, you know, I'm just giving back. I was very fortunate as a kid having some great coaches. And, and um, that two-hour commute one way up to four nights a week, uh, you know, it, it gets old, but it's fun and refreshing when, when you're successful. And, and guys, you know, you got to give hats off to the players because – not only they got to pay out of state tuition and and go to school, but you know they got to drive an hour one way to Pelham and back. So you know, long days for them, and you know to have 13 guys on the all academics is is, is great, and it's, it's a commitment commitment on everybody's part. And we're just happy that uh, we're able to say that we're the University of Alabama, and we're, we're also happy to say that we you know we're able to wear that script A, which means a lot to these kids that are coming from all across the country. Oh yes, absolutely. And uh, it, it, for those of you listening who have never been out to the Pelham Civic Center and watched the Frozen Tide play, you owe it to yourself to do it. Uh, because if you go, you will get hooked, and you and you will be back. And uh, I'm going to make every effort possible to get down there. Uh, I'm not going to say if when you guys 
or in the Nationals. I feel confident, Coach. I've got a good feeling about it. But but please keep us uh, keep us surprised. If you happen to hear before uh, 9 o'clock Central tonight, please shoot me a, a Twitter pop message so I can let our fans know about your fate. And uh, I want to thank you very much again for your time. And we do want to have you on again uh, once we figure out what's going on with Nationals. Coach, uh, really, really, really thank you for your time this evening. Well, thank you guys for having us, and uh, I will uh, shoot you a, a message uh, if I hear tonight uh, by 9 o'clock, and um, thanks again for having us, and roll tide. All right, roll tide, Coach. Uh, coach Q, Mike Quinneville, uh, the head coach of the Alabama Frozen Tide hockey team, as they await their fate on whether or not they will have to participate in a regional tournament in Orlando or get a or get a bid straight to the uh, Sweet 16, uh, which will be played uh, not far from me here in Pelham, Alabama. Always good to have Coach Q on BAM's radio. And uh, one of the things that we have prided ourselves on in the past 12 months uh, since Drew Jarman became a permanent co-host is we have had so many different recruits, uh, commitments, signees, what have you, uh, on BAM's radio. And uh, Drew actually now uh, co-hosts a second show on Monday night's uh, which broadcast out of Russellville, Alabama. It's called Alabama Intel Radio. And uh, this past Monday night, just three nights ago, uh, he and Darren Woodruff, the owner of uh, Alabama Intel, were able to interview uh, Alabama defensive back Simon Binka Fitzpatrick out of New Jersey. And uh, Drew has, uh, who will, by the way, be joining us in hour number two. He's uh, working at the AHSAA. Uh, Northwest Regional Basketball Tournament, boys and girls, up in Hansville. He'll be joining us after 8 Central Time. But Drew was uh, kind enough to share with us this interview that he and Darren did with Minka Pitchpatrick just about 72 hours ago on Alabama Intel Radio. And Thomas has got that ready to go. So without further ado, we're going to bring on the interview with Drew DeArmond, Darren Woodruff, and Minka Pitchpatrick. Everyone, welcome back to Alabama Intel Radio. Uh, this is, you know, we have come to the point of our show where we have our special guest on, and uh, we are honored to be joined by, in my opinion, uh, the best defensive back in the country, a uh, very key piece to the Alabama recruiting class in 2015, St. Peter's Prep All-American, Mika Fitzpatrick. Mika, welcome to Alabama Intel Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and hey, and we, first of all, we just want to say uh, congratulations on your decision and uh, you, and ultimately deciding to to ink with the Crimson Tide. Uh, I know you were committed for a very long time, but I know even though you were committed, it was still could be a crazy process. But just, I guess, first uh, first, first of all, tell everybody your current height and weight, and uh, and, and then just kind of give a little bit of background on yourself. Um, 6'1", 198. Uh, I play defensive back. I'm going to be playing defensive back in the University of Alabama. I'm from New Jersey. And uh, in high school, I played wide receiver, running back. Anything the coach needed me to, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> hey, Mika, this is uh, Darren Woodruff here. It's very, very honored to have you here tonight in Row Tide. Uh, got a question for you. What, what were some of the some of the deciding factors that, that helped you make your decision to, to to come to Tuscaloosa? Um, you know, when I first when I first visited Alabama, you know, I just I just really fell in love with the campus. And uh, you know, when I got to speak to all the coaches, Coach Kate, uh Coach Saban and Coach Smart, you know, they're they're two uh two great guys, uh and also two great coaches. Just two of the, one of the two of the best uh defensive minds in the game right now. 
you know, it's like, why why wouldn't you go somewhere where you can learn from from two people like that? And they could they could uh make you and coach you up to be one of the best players possible. You know, also they 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 don't just they don't just stress the football player part of it, but they also stress the just growing up and uh and, and teach you how to be a man outside outside of football and off the field. You know, they teach you a whole lot of responsibility. And uh, you know, also I have family down there which is uh which is pretty important. So it's like it's like I'm not gonna just be leaving my, my family up here. Um I'm also like my grandparents and uh and a couple other people down there with me. Well, Mika, I've got a, a two-part question for you. The first one is, has uh, Coach Saban or Coach Smart give you any kind of indication of, of which position you're going to start your career off at? Is it going to be a corner? Is it going to be at safety? And the second part is, um, and I sound like an idiot for questioning Coach Saban, but I, I'm not convinced that you're not a better wide receiver than you are a defensive back after watching this <laughs> year. Uh, I would have a hard time parking somebody at DB after seeing them score six touchdowns in the first half of a, of a ball game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, to answer the first part, you know, I talk to Coach Saban and Kirby about that all the time. And, uh, you know, they're going to teach me the cornerback spot. This is the, the plan going. And they're going to teach me the cornerback spot first and also the uh, the nickel in the, in the money spot. Um, and those are the two spots that they feel like I'm, I'm going to go in there and, uh, and try to make an immediate impact at those two positions. And, uh, and then to answer the second part, you know, if, if, uh, if Coach Saban needs me to play receiver, you know, I'll play. Uh, it's just, you know, I'll get on the field however, however I need to and uh, where, however the coach needs me to. So and that's about it. That's all I can say to that. Well, <laughs> have they had any conversations with you? Because I, I know quite a few impressive uh plays at this position, especially in your senior year, have had any conversations with you about factoring in as a punt returner or kickoff returner? Oh, yeah, sir. You know, that, that's actually a couple of, uh, I think last week, a couple of days before signing day, if uh, I'd probably be interested in that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something I'd like to do, either punt return or uh, kick return. And, then, of course, all the other special teams. Yeah, and, Mega, i got to say, Coach Saban has done it before. He had Michael Clayton with LSU, who played both ways. So, if uh, you if you if you're as dynamic as I think, it could easily happen. But I wanted to ask you about your senior season. You know, first of all, I saw you guys play against Virgins Catholic on ESPN. You guys were tremendous. Uh, you guys had a great year. You won the first state championship at the school since 2005. And obviously, uh, much like Coach Saban, you you played for the Nick Saban in New Jersey and and Coach Hanson. Kind of talk about the the impact he's had on your career. Oh, uh, you know, Coach Coach Hanson, he's a he's a great coach. Uh he has a great staff behind him. And, you know, he also he had a great he had a great team and uh, you know, he he coaches up to be some great players and it's almost like the same thing like I said with uh with Coach Saban and Coach Smart. They he 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 teaches you how to be responsible on and on the field and he uh he handles he takes academics seriously and uh you know, he's a, he's a great coach and uh, a great man on the field. Well, Minka, you made a lot of people nervous down here in the state of Alabama and probably with Alabama fans all across the country, uh, you know, committing almost nine months before National Signing Day. Um, and I'm sure you had you know, every school in the country, uh, you know, coming after you. Obviously, there might have been a, uh, a desire for you to go play with your, with your quarterback, Brandon Wimbush. But did you, did you actually consider going anywhere else besides Alabama and talk a little bit about um, you know, that process and the struggles and, and the, the final decision that you had to make? Um, 
you know, there wasn't really a point where I said, you know, I'm leaving Alabama, I'm going somewhere else. But, you know, there was a point where, you know, since I was committed for so long, you always have, you start reading things, start seeing things, and you start having concerns. And, uh, you know, it's a really important decision. Like, a lot of coaches tell me it's not a, it's not a four-year decision, it's a 40-year decision. And uh, you just want to be 110% sure about it and uh, make sure you're making the right decision for you and your family. And, uh, you know, I felt like Alabama is that place for me. And uh, that's, why I, uh, that's why I stuck with them for the, uh, for the nine months. Well, you, you, you actually missed out on this dynamic. You know, you're coming out a year too early to uh, have been able to take advantage of it. But I think you're obviously a, a, a great young man to maybe speak about this a little bit. What are your thoughts on the NCAA, at least for one year, they're going to implement an early signing period for recruits that are 2016. Um, well, what are your thoughts on that, and do you think you would have taken advantage of that had it been in place your senior year? Um, I, def- I definitely would have taken advantage of that. Because, you know, it's uh, like right now I'm just I'm 110% focused on, on, uh, on just becoming a better athlete, a better student of the game. And, uh, you know, I feel like because I have that, that weight, that weight lift up my shoulders, and uh, I feel like if I would have signed the papers in this summer, you know, I could have, I could have been a little bit more, a whole lot more focused on my season and, uh, you know, develop myself. But uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a great idea. You know, I was actually talking about my mother. I think she saw something about that. I was talking about, uh, talking with that, uh, about with my mother. And uh, you know, she said it would also be a, it would be a pretty good idea, and uh, it would probably be easier for the kids. Well, I think that's one thing too, you know, Minka, that a lot of people that follow recruiting don't don't realize. I mean, certainly you've got a lot of pressure and you know a lot of inconveniences on you having to go all the way to National Signing Day um, last week throughout this process. Um, you know, with the phone calls, the text messages, the the social media aspect of it, of you know, fan bases wanting to you know try and encourage and entice you to come to their school, but. You know, talk a little bit about that because I don't think that gets mentioned a much. Gets mentioned as much as, as what kind of pressure it puts on the moms and the fathers and, and the extended family of a high-profile recruit like yourself. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but it's but you you have to see it as a blessing, you know, because uh, because it is a blessing, and you know, there's a lot of kids that that, that would like to be in mind and, and kids like Brandon Shoes, and uh, and you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work. And, um, you know, I feel like sometimes it can be a little bit much with the social media and uh, all the other things, like you said, and the fans on their sites. But um, if you just, if you see it, it's all about how, it's all about your attitude and how you see it. Um, but, you know, I just got to pray about it. And uh, talk to your family about it and your friends about it. And uh, get through the process. Well, and Minka, I know this is something that was a big thrill for you and, with the way the game has grown, it's something that is a prospect. I mean, as you be, as you blossomed as an athlete, you dreamed about doing. But talk about your experience at the Under Armour game and the impact that had on you. And you had so many of your future teammates at the game as well. But just kind of talk about that experience for our listeners. Uh, first of all, it was, it was a whole lot of fun, you know, just being down there with all the guys and the coaches and everything. And I uh, had you know, a great competition. So everybody was getting better the whole week. And, um, you know, you got to see um, – Almost like what the college level was like, because everybody down there is, is great, is great players, are great players, and um, you know it was, a, it was a whole, it was a great opportunity just working with coaches like Deion Sanders. Like I'm never, I'm probably never going to get a chance to uh, to do that again. But 
Hopefully, I will. But um, you know, it's, it's great learning from from coaches like that, and uh, just get absorbing all the knowledge and, and, uh, and techniques and the knowledge that they give you. And obviously, have, I know he's just he hasn't been on staff very long, but have you touched base with Mel Tucker at all? And uh, have you get, have you starting to build a relationship with him? Oh yeah, yeah. So I, the the week of signing day, I think the day that he signed, I talked to him every single day uh, except for the last two days. Um, you know, just trying to make a set form that relationship with him. And you know, uh, he, he, he's he's been in the, even in the NFL, I think, it's ten years. And uh, so you know what I mean. He has a he has a whole lot of experience and a whole lot to uh, a whole lot to give to the players. Um, on and off the field, you know, he seems like seems like a great man. He has a a great family, so I can't wait to get get to start working with him. Well, Minka, even though you're not going to play for him once you get to Alabama, he, I know he's uh, one of you know mine and Drew and Darren's favorite coaches on the staff. But talk a little bit about your relationship with your area recruiter, Mario Cristobal, and what kind of role he played in getting you to Alabama? Um, you know, he, he's a he's a really, really, really uh, good man. You know, he's a, he's a really family-oriented man. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of also played a role in it. You know, a lot of people say all the coaches staff at Alabama, they're, uh, they're, all they're about is just being a football player and this and that. And, you know, I kind of just talking with Coach Saban, Coach Smart, Coach Cristobal, and all, those, all the other coaches, you get to learn that, that that there are there are coaches and they're serious about football, but they're also serious about family. They they love you no matter what, and uh, you know that's really what you look for in a coach. You know I, I really think Coach Cristobal exemplifies that. Um, you know that's something that's really important to me. Yeah, and make a just. What do you? What do you? Uh, what have you? Have you shifted your focus to now? Uh, have you uh, got the the infamous uh, FedEx package from Scott Cochran yet? And uh, are you are you participating in other sports at St. Peter's right now? Um, I talked to Coach Cochran the other day um, on the phone. He said that he's sending out the uh, the workouts and stuff. Um, I think he sent it out that day, so it should be in sometime this week. But um, I'm also running track. And I'm doing a whole bunch of other things like like boxing and, and just trying to get my eye hand coordination and stuff like that. Uh, just just trying to develop uh, mentally as a football player. Um, just honestly just looking over different technique and uh, and like what Coach Saban wants and Coach Smart wants. And um, you know that's about it. Just developing, just getting better all around. Well, I tell you what, I don't know if you've had a chance to to touch base with them either by texting or. Uh, uh, Twitter or whatever, but uh, the, the, your, some of the guys in your class that were early enrollees, guys like Ronnie Harrison and Deontay Thompson, uh, got their initiation starting today at about 4 o'clock uh, with that infamous Scott Cochran fourth quarter program. Uh, I'll be interested to get some feedback from you down the road uh, when you get to hear what, exactly what their thoughts were after going through that torture chamber today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I heard a lot about that. I heard a lot about that program, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready for. I'm preparing for uh, mental entrance this week because uh, I know Coach Coach Cochran. He's a he's a uh, he's a tough coach, and uh, you know, that's what we need. Mika, have you have you had any conversations with any of the other uh, signees in your class about uh, you know who you're possibly going to be your roommates when you get the touch at the end of May? Um, I talked to I talked to Kendall. And uh, Richie Pettifon, those are those two dudes that uh, that I think I like to room with. You know, they seem like two type of guys like me, uh, kind of quiet, laid back type of dudes, but you know, focused and, and driven. So 
ain't gonna be getting in trouble and stuff like that. So, so two, uh, two people I talked to and I told my coach all like the And obviously, Minka, uh, have you had any discussions uh, about your jersey number? Do you know what number you'll be wearing in Crimson? Um, Coach Chris, well, I had a couple minutes ago. He uh, texted me about that, but uh, he didn't respond back. <laughs> he may be a little busy right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's Broadway. Uh, as burnout as you and your family are on the recruiting process, uh, Coach Cristobal and, and not you know, every coach in the country um, probably needs a little bit of time off after the grind that they just went through uh, with trying to get all of you guys signed on the dotted line and, and get you where you need to be. So, I'm sure. I'm sure Mario will be responding back as soon as he's got a pretty good answer for you on that. Oh yeah, he, he's down in Miami right now with his mother, and uh, he, he actually texted me about it. So that's only I, was, I wasn't involved. Well, I didn't call him in the coach this weekend because I knew that they were all out. Like Coach Smart, I think he's keying on some slopes, and uh, Coach Christopher is down in Miami. So I didn't. I didn't really bother him too much. But he texted me about that. Good deal. Well, Minka, we we thank you for giving us some time today. Uh, obviously, uh, you gave us 15 good minutes, and we really appreciate. It. We know you're a busy guy, and we are very, very excited to have you in Crimson. Uh, we can't wait to see you in the fall. And uh, again, we really thank you for coming on out on the Intel Radio. We'll try to catch. Well, that was uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, one of the top defensive backs in the country, uh, in conversation with uh, our own Drew Diarmond as well as uh, our frequent guests, William Redfish-Barger and uh, Alabama Intel owner, Darren Woodruff. Uh, we thank those guys for allowing us to run that interview. And, uh, of course, Nika for his time. Those are some really good questions. Uh, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to hazard a guess uh, as to what number Nika will get uh, his first year and then which one he'll transition to. Uh, he seems to be very fond of number 21, probably in part due to his idol to be on Sanders wearing it so many years in the pros. Uh, that number is not uh, available right now because Maurice Smith has it uh, in the secondary. Uh, and uh, I think maybe you could see Minka in Nick Perry's old 27 for a year or so and then transition over to 21 once uh, Maurice Smith ex- exacerbates his ex- eligibility. Uh, but right, and that was a really good interview. I felt like that uh, Drew and William and Darren asked all the good questions, and I'm glad we were able to bring that to y'all. Uh, and speaking to Drew, he'll be joining us in, in just a few minutes uh, after we take a break. But for now, we're going to break away for a few minutes, and uh, we'll be back with you after the top of the hour. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Take Bama Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcasts, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone app store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tied all the time. The spot. It's a bigger spot. 
Make a man miss. He's going to go. He's going to go. Touchdown, T.J. Yeldon. Utah shovel pass in the middle. Picked up by Darius. Marcel Darius. Darius to the 15. He spins to the 5. Touchdown. Touchdown. Marcel Darius. Radio and uh, again, hour number two. It's currently three minutes after the hour. We want to thank our uh, guest from hour one, uh, Mike Quinterville, head coach of the Alabama Frozen Tide hockey program, who's anxiously awaiting his team's fate regarding uh, a bid to the Nationals, uh, the Sweet 16, if you will, uh, to be played on their home rink, the Pelham Civic Center in Pelham, Alabama, over here in Shelby County, not very far down the road from myself at all. Uh, and also, I want to thank the folks at the Alabama Intel Radio for sharing with us the uh, excellent 15-minute interview with Crimson Tide defensive back signee Mika Fitzpatrick. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Mari Smith currently has number 21, and he's going to have it for potentially two more years. 
uh, unless Mika can talk him out of it. I don't think Mika wants 21, but uh, that remains to be seen. I'm going to go ahead and guess, like I said at the end of last hour, that Mika opens up with uh, number 27 and then transitions to 21 later in his career. In case you didn't see it on Twitter, uh, Derek Henry has announced our uh, junior, rising junior running back, uh, probably the starter, that he is going to transition from 27 uh, back to two. Uh, he wore two in the very, very early stages of his career in Tuscaloosa. Uh, he's worn 21, two, uh, and uh, like I said, uh, so uh, some potential number changes on the Alabama roster. Uh, always one of the fun things to watch when they release the rosters, both in the spring and in the fall. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a number and a roster geek uh, on many of Alabama's sports teams. And uh, so uh, we're going to go ahead and go ahead and let Thomas have time to bring in our next guest. So we're going to be doing a, a preview of the Alabama baseball series this weekend as well as the upcoming season. And then we'll be joined at some point this hour by our other co-host, Drew Diamond of AlabamaIntel.com. You got to hear his voice on that 15-minute interview asking some good questions. But he is currently working at the uh, Northwest Regional of the Alabama High School Athletic Association uh, Boys and Girls Basketball Tournament, uh, where they decide, by uh, playing a couple of games each, who gets to come down to Birmingham for the uh, Final Four. And uh, Drew will join us also at some point later this hour. Um, but uh, we're going to open up with a, with a baseball preview and uh, talk to a, someone whose opinion on baseball I truly, truly respect. Look forward to having him on in just a, a few minutes. And then we'll talk a little bit more later in the hour uh, once we get Drew on about the things I'm hearing about the potentiality of Josh Niblett joining the football staff in some capacity, whether it be on field or off field. Um, I really think that's a distinct possibility. Um, Josh has, uh, he, now he makes six figures at Hoover, don't get me wrong. He's not unhappy or anything, but he hasn't had a raise in, in, in a few years despite winning state championships left and right, back to back. And his young, or his, uh, his actually his older brother, but his brother worked for him as a coordinator the past few years. Tad Niblett, and Tad was hired by Foley, and Tad is going to be making about twenty-five thousand more a year than Josh, even though Tad hasn't been a head coach. So uh, Josh is, is willing to listen if Nick Saban is willing to offer, and uh, I've got uh, two pretty good sources um, that would know more than me saying that the uh, possibility of Josh Nibbett becoming a member of Nick Saban's staff at Alabama is growing by the day. And uh, anyway, so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, get ready to talk a little baseball. Uh, we'll be joined by a guest in that regard here in a little while. But uh, before that, I wanted to uh, recap again the, uh, the great uh, start that the Alabama softball team is off to. Uh, they're seven and zero. They you know, have... Gary, let me jump in here. I'm sorry, and check the back chat real quick. I did get to catch the Bama softball South Alabama game late last week. Very very exciting game that Alabama pulled out at the very end. And uh, South Alabama's got a really good team. Uh, I mean, they're not in a quote unquote Power Five conference, but they're going to make some noise potentially as a second seed. I mean, they could potentially host a super regional, but I doubt it. But, you know, having seen that in person, 
this uh, South Al- this Alabama softball team. I mean, it's got a shot. The uh, the pitcher whose name has flown out of my head had a perfect game over the weekend. Did I see that correctly? Yeah, Sidney Littlejohn. Thank you. So it's definitely you know I I definitely was. I, I was I knew South Alabama had a very heavy like a very veteran laden team and I kind of I almost expected Alabama to drop one because they were replacing so much but they played very impressively but anyway I'll let you continue your preview I apologize I just wanted to jump in and give my first hand take on that game yeah and uh, check the back chat I've sent the uh, collection on that number uh, but I'm going to give Thomas time to. Uh, procure our uh, second guest of the evening, our first guest of hour number two. Uh, we'll be joined by him in just a few minutes. But getting back to softball, uh, they did have a great comeback victory in the game. Thomas saw down one nothing, going to the top of the seventh at South Alabama and uh, rallied to win 2-1 to one, and then took some very impressive wins at the, uh, a tournament in Gulf Shores that's called the Sand Dollar Classic. Uh, they went 5-0 and uh, in that tournament, and then they uh, – turned around and got a victory at Sanford uh, last night, 7-1 to one, over the Lady Bulldogs. So the 7-0, and there are two softball polls, two major ones. Alabama's ranked third in one and uh, fourth in the other. So uh, off to a great start. Hats off to Coach Patrick Murphy. Uh, he only has 12 hitters this year. He has two walk-on pinch runners that don't bat hardly ever. But he has 12 people that he can consistently send to the, to the plate which is an all-time low for his program. But he's got three excellent pitchers. All of them are off to great starts. Leslie Jury, uh, Sidney Littlejohn, as Thomas mentioned, threw a perfect game over the weekend, a five-inning perfect game, only the second in program history, the first being by her pitching coach, uh, her pitching coach, Stephanie Van Brekel. Deanna Lafayette is the first baseman that took a couple of homers uh, looking good there. And, uh, but... And so softball's off to a great start, and they're heading out to uh, Stanford this weekend, California. They've gone from Stanford to Stanford, if that's not confusing enough. But they're going to be playing in a tournament up there uh, with some very good programs, including the host, uh, Lady Cardinal. So uh, but right now we're going to shift the focus over to, uh, to baseball. And uh, I want to bring on a guy whose opinion I really respect uh, reading this stuff on Twitter and a guy who has uh, – have an opportunity to see a number of practices and scrimmages thus far and to really give us uh, an educated preview. Uh, and I'm bringing on Roger Myers now. Uh, Drew we just had Drew as well. Drew, mute your mic, please. <laughs> Drew, mute your mic while, while I talk to Roger here. Uh, you're hearing uh, basketball in the background at, uh, at Roger. I don't know if Drew can do that because he's on the cell phone. <laughs> so... Uh, Anyway, Roger Myers is joining us now to talk about going baseball. How are you doing tonight, Roger? Doing great. How about you guys? Doing wonderful. Thomas, uh, so, just go ahead and drop Drew for now. Uh, we, so we can, yeah, there you go. All right, well, Roger, uh, you have had a chance to see a number of practices and scrimmages uh, regarding the 2015 Alabama team uh, up here at Hoover. Uh, what's been your impression so far on what you've seen? Uh, I see a, a good good core of uh, veteran players and a good mixture of of young freshmen and, and junior college guys that um, that should put a real really good product on the field. Um, they don't have to adapt their game a little bit for the spaciousness of the Hoover Met. 
so they're they've worked extra hard on bunting, hitting run, hit and run, and stealing bases. So they hopefully will improve those in those categories uh, this year. Um, they were a little bit more power oriented last year with Austin Smith, Ben Moore, and Wade Watts and those guys. But those three guys are gone, and um, and we got the bigger part. But on the um, opposite side of that, we also we have a ball that's going to sell a little bit, uh, fly a little bit better this year with the lower seam ball, the minor league ball that the that NCAA has gone to for this season. And the guys have seen a, seen a you know fairly significant increase in the way the ball the ball carries um, having the, the smaller seams. So that hopefully will offset some of the uh, the bigness of the ballpark. And uh, also a couple of, you know, a few guys step forward and make that incremental uh, improvement that you typically get from season to season. There, there are some some guys out there that are, that are capable of hitting some home runs and some doubles in the gap and that type thing. So they um, – will be utilizing the uh, the bunt and hitting around and stolen base, but they also should should have uh, be able to be able to provide some power as well. Um, starting, of course, with Mikey White. I mean, you have to start with him when you talk about this team. I mean, he's on a number of preseason All-American teams. He's um, one of the 50 Golden Spike uh, candidates uh, recognized before the season starts. And he's you know, this guy that's played. Every game since he's walked on campus, and almost almost every inning of every game, leading returning hitter coming back this season that hit an even 300 last year, and he was uh, second on the team with seven home runs, and uh, of course fielded his position very well at shortstop. So he's he's the um, he's the key, and you know I always say in baseball strength up the middle is is the most important thing, and with Mikey and his his. Uh, Partner Kyle Overstreet at second, and then Georgie Salem in center, and Will Haney behind the plate. I don't think you can, you'll find any team or very many teams with better defense up the middle than than those guys will provide. Well, and I totally agree with that. And uh, of course, uh, even in a spacious park like the Hoover Met, and we say spacious because the fences are five to ten feet deep in any other SEC park. Uh, pitching is still paramount, and uh, we have now been given the uh, opening rotation for the weekend series against Maryland Eastern Shore. It starts tomorrow night. Uh, right. Talk a yes. little bit about those those three guys, Roger, and what we okay. know about them and what they bring to the table on the mound. All right. Uh, Friday night we have Taylor Gilbo, who's a six-four um, senior from Zachary, Louisiana, and he um, actually he started. His freshman year, he was uh, first. I think the first freshman to start opening day, freshman pitcher to start opening day for Obama team back uh, when he was when he first got here. And he's he's been kind of up and down throughout his career. And he um, he last year struggled with a few issues with some control, and then he had had uh, some physical things. But uh, at the end of the year, and uh, when they had to have a victory in the um, in the Tallahassee Regional to stay alive, he pitched a complete game victory for his and his um, only start of the year. And um, he's built on that over the off season. He's he's uh, like say six four, but he's a string bean. But he he's just one of those guys that just doesn't gain weight. I mean, he, as much as he 
eats and lifts and does all the things he's supposed to. But he um, seems to be be stronger and a little bit bigger and um, has has uh, gained control um, of his pitches a lot better. And he um, he's one of those guys that I mean, he'll look like world beater for for an inning or for a couple batters, and then then things have kind of gone off the rails. I mean, he may walk a guy, and then which leads to another walk, which leads to a wild pitch and that type of thing. And he seems to, at least uh, so far in, in fall and spring and scrimmages, he has eliminated uh, that problem and looks to be just really um, confident and uh, just a lot more mature. Um uh, Physically and and mentally, and I think he um, I think he's going to do a really good job. He was throwing his bullpen yesterday uh, Tuesday. After he got through, he had a, like a thirty minute conversation with Andy Pettit, who was there visiting, and uh, so that was you know not a not a bad thing for a left handed not a bad guy for a left handed pitcher to talk to. And then Saturday they're going to follow up with uh, Will Carter, who is a uh, Junior college guy out of um, Gray, Tennessee, and he's six three and um, really looks like a like a front line pitcher. He's uh, he's got good control with his pitches. He's uh, got good makeup. He, he's one of the hardest workers out there, and uh, they're expecting really big things out of him. He uh, had an arm injury last year and didn't pitch until the last part of the season at, at his junior college, and he. Um, did well enough in the four or five games that he got in. He still was drafted, and uh, I think it was the thirty-fifth round. But of course, chose to come <clears throat> come to school here at Alabama. And then Sunday's guys, um, Hoover native uh, Jeffrey Bramlett. He's just he came on as a freshman last year and really did well. He had a five and two record, had a three point four ERA, started uh, five games. And like Gilbo, he pitched a complete a complete game victory in the Tallahassee Regional, and you know when the team was had their back against the wall, and um, just really um, big, strong kid, great makeup. He's just uh, he really battles as a high school quarterback. Um, his dad's football coach at Hoover, and now he's actually a coach at Hillcrest now here in Tuscaloosa, and he's just he's got that kind of football mentality, bulldog type, you know, doesn't give in. He um, He's just a tough kid and um, locates his pitch as well. And, um, you know, really did a great job at the end of last season, and they're ex- expecting big things from him. So those those three guys will be the, for you know, at least to start the season are the, are the weekend starters. And hopefully there's a few seasons you go through the whole year with your same three starters, but hopefully those those three can stay healthy and effective and make it all the way through the season. Uh, other uh, – is um, go ahead. I was wondering about Bramble. Is is, is his daddy Gary Bramble? Um, he was – he was, plays football uh, right now? No, 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 no. Um, I'm trying to okay. – okay. I think it's Mike. I think it's Mike. And he um, – Okay. Yeah, he was an assistant coach at Hoover, and now he's an assistant coach at Hillcrest here in Tuscaloosa. Right. But no, no, it's not, it's not scary, ball. But... Okay, um, that's cool. And he played it, like you mentioned, he's a Hoover guy, played at Spain Park, uh, played with Mikey White. Uh, I've been talking to several people. I haven't had a chance to go out and see him you know, practice yet or go to a, a no, no, uh, Bradley, yet, but... 
No, Bramblett actually played at Hoover. Hoover High. Oh, Hoover High. Okay. Yeah, Colton right. Freeman uh, is, our, is our other um, is our other Spain Park guy. Mikey and Colton Freeman went to Spain Park. Okay. So, uh, what I want to do next, Roger, I've uh, put together. I love to do this kind of stuff, but I, I read an article where a guy made a very educated and I think may have nailed it lineup at the bat Miller tomorrow night. And I, I want to read this out to you, and I want you to tell me how close you think this is to what Mitch will be handing to the umpire tomorrow night. And then we'll, 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 we'll go back and uh, talk about each individual guy. But okay. This lineup shows uh, freshman uh, Chandler Avant leading off at DH. Does that sound right? He will – I would uh, be willing to bet he, Chandler will be leading off. He may be playing third base and maybe at DH. It, it just okay. depends. I actually, I actually talked, talked to Mitch earlier today, and he, he has a – he, I'm, I'm sure he has his lineup, but he's he's not he wasn't ready to release to release it. But yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, he's got Georgia Salem, the previous leadoff hitter for the last two years, batting second, playing center. I think that's. Safe I would I would say that's a safe bet. Yes. Third, the guy you mentioned already, Mikey White. He's got him uh, hitting the three hole and playing short. So far, it sounds reasonable. Right. At the next uh, six positions, these are educated guesses by the guy who wrote the article, but uh, uh, that makes sense to me. He's got the cleanup hitter being right fielder Casey Houston. I would I would think that would most likely be the case, yes. Big, powerful. In the five-hole, yep. In the five-hole, he's got uh, second baseman Kyle Overstreet. That, no, I think that's probably going to be the case, too. Uh, batting six, he's got a guy who's a six-five Dale Murphy type of catcher, Will Haney. Right, right. Uh, would, um, seven hole, he's got first baseman Chance Benson, who's moving over from third to first. Correct. Um, now this is where it gets a little dicey. Uh, his eighth guy is he's got uh, Ryan Blanchard as the left fielder. And I don't know if the left field is all the way decided yet. What's your opinion there? Uh, it's uh, that's one of the really the three spots that that there's a little question about. Uh, I mean, the um, Blanchard uh, probably was a leading candidate, but his he had that horrific knee injury last season where he crashed in the wall right. off yet and shattered his kneecap and a bunch of pieces and they pieced it back together, and he's still having some swelling and um, pain from that. And and he had, has told me that, you know, cold weather really really makes it ache. But uh, besides that point, uh, J.C. Wilhite has had a tremendous fall and spring playing out in left field. He's playing a lot. He played a lot of places, including, you know, they've got him as a relief pitcher, a sidearm relief pitcher as well, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, J.C. Wilhite started and left, but it could be Ryan. It, but and, and it may be that one of them starts one day, and one of them starts the next this weekend, because you know he's not going to have a totally set lineup for the for the whole season just yet. He's going to give some guys a chance, but that that would be one of that would be the um, either or in that situation. And, and actually, another wild card in that whole thing is. Avant can play up there as well. 
but I, I think he would be the least likely at three starting left field, although he, he is going to play somewhere. Right, even if it's just DH. Right. And you mentioned earlier that he might see some time at third, but this, this gentleman's uh, educated guest has got Daniel Coogin batting back and playing yeah. third. Right, and Coogin is kind of a – I mean, he's kind of the next, next man up. He played behind Chance last year as the primary third base backup and also was – you uh, can play second and short. He's an excellent fielder. Um, the biggest concern they have is um, how much he, how much can he or will he hit. And so that's the that's another one of the toss ups. Um, he's played. He and Nabant have pretty much swapped around at being the third base. So depending on what they, what Mitch decides to do with the left field, like if. If Will Height plays left field, Blanchard might DH and Avant might play third. Or uh, Coogin could play third, Will Height and left, and Avant DH. So it's um, that that tree that kind of triangle of those three positions and those four guys are are kind of where that is right now. So, uh, like I say, he wouldn't he wouldn't commit to to letting out which which way he was going to go. But if I would. I kind of feel like if if Coogan plays third on Friday, Avant may play it on Saturday, and vice versa. But I think you can pretty much put it down that Avant will be in the lineup somewhere um, all through the weekend. And for the people that a, hadn't seen Chandler play, what 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 kind of is he a speed guy, a truly off guy, a guy that can be out well, What what do we know about Chandler so he's far? Just, he's a big ball of energy. He's um, to me, he's kind of a, a, a right-handed Taylor Duga in a way, in, in the way that he plays the game. He plays hard. He plays plays it the right way. He's um, a little. He's he's you know a relatively little guy. He's five ten, five eleven, about one hundred and seventy pounds. But he is strong. He he hit more home runs in the fall scrimmages than any of the other guys. I think he hit seven or eight in the scrimmages this fall, and he. Um, you know, just they like his makeup. They like his, the way he, he works, how hard he works, and the, the way he approaches the game. And he, um, you know, he's got some speed. I, I think. I mean, he's, he might not be a prototypical leadoff hitter in, in that he works accounts and takes takes a lot of walks. But um, he definitely he definitely gets on base a lot because he hit, he hits the ball hard. For, for a guy his size, he he just generates a whole ton of power. You mentioned uh, that J.C. Wilhite was pushing for a starting job. I'm just wondering uh, if in my guesstimated lineup I left anybody else out that's on the cusp, and I'm going to specifically mention uh, Taylor Poe, who apparently has had a, a pretty good camp at catcher. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Taylor's worked real hard, and um, he's been out, I guess, this third year out there as a walk-on and takes a tough load in school and just, you know, he works works hard at it and, um He's gone, you know, done everything from bullpen catch to, you know, even he ended up starting a SEC game last year when um, we had some injury situations. And he's, uh, you know, whatever they called on him to do, he's done. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's not beating Haney out. I mean, nobody, you know, Haney's as good as anybody in the country behind the plate. And hopefully um, his he's healthy and his um, – 
Kidding will come around this year to what he's capable of doing. But you know, could see Taylor getting some um, getting some innings here and there in the games or some midweek games. Uh, and another actually interesting thing as far as catcher goes is is uh, Overstreet, who's you know the best second baseman in the country and best best fielding infielder I've uh, I've ever laid eyes on. He's amazing, but. His um, pro potential, you know, a lot of the scouts think is it is it catcher because of size and speed, but he's he's just got extremely quick hands. So he's worked some at catcher in the in the practices and scrimmages, and um, you know wouldn't be surprised for him to maybe get a midweek start at catcher here and there, just to, um, just to kind of showcase him and then you know give Haney or give, give Haney a rest if he needs it, uh, let's say a midweek game. Because, as as everybody knows, catching takes a toll, toll on the body. You, can't, you know how many guys like Brett Booth that caught all but 12 innings of one season uh, two years ago. Um, so, you know, they're going to – and being, being as tall as he is and doing all that bending at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, you know, that – takes a toll on your back. He had some back issues last year and also suffered a concussion from some foul balls. So that was part of part of his problem of um was staying healthy last year. So um and actually in my opinion he's gonna be the biggest key to the season, him staying healthy and hitting like he's capable of. And uh Roger, final question before I let you go. Um talk a little bit about the guy that appears to be, at least this part of the season the primary uh, midweek starter uh, pitcher, Nick Eichholz. Uh I would say it's Nick Eichholz, who's a sophomore from down in Florida, and he um, is, you know, six uh, four, pretty kind of thin. Um, he's gained, gained a good bit of weight since he's been here, but he's still under two hundred pounds. But very highly rated by scouts uh, coming out of high school, and and still he's you know one of the guys that that it's projected he's not eligible this year, but after next season as being a you know fairly round, fairly high draft pick and um, good, good, um, good tall pitcher which he'd like to have. Throws when he throws strikes, he's really, really, really tough. Um, and he had he started nine games last year and pitched 50 innings and had a like a three three or a so I mean he's got. Accountability. It's um, locating his pitches is his main thing. Keeping them, keeping them over the plate. Because he had 40 strikeouts in his 51 innings, but he walked 33. So that, that ratio is not not ideal. So you know he's just like all of him. He needs to throw strikes, and uh, when he does, he's very tough. Well, we sure appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, we'd like to invite you back in two or three weeks to give us a, a wrap up of say the first three or four weeks of play. Uh, that's, that's exactly the type of uh, interview we were looking for and as far as bringing our BAMS radio listeners up to speed on the baseball team. And uh just want to really, really, really thank you for your time tonight. Okay, thank you. I appreciate you calling, and, yeah, I'll be glad to come on anytime. All right, appreciate it. Uh, that was Roger Myers, uh, uh, Alabama baseball super fan. Uh, as you can tell, he knows the team inside and out, and uh, we'll bring Roger on uh, at least uh, once or twice a month from now. Uh, through the month of May when baseball concludes uh, in Tuscaloosa uh, and Hoover, actually. 
but uh, I tell you what, if you if you've got a question about baseball, that's the guy to talk to. Uh, Roger Myers, and if, if the name Roger Myers sounds familiar to the listeners, especially in the Tuscaloosa area, it's because his family, uh, until recently, owned uh, Jim Myers Drugs, a long-time business in the city of Tuscaloosa, a number of locations. And uh, well, you can tell by the background noise that our man Drew Diarmond is back. Uh, he's uh, joining us live from the uh, Northwest Regional Boys and Girls Basketball Tournament, the AHSAA. Uh, we've had an eventful night already. Drew, how you doing tonight, brother? Uh, doing good, brother, and I'm staring right over at Terry Connor, assistant coach at Altamont High School right now. Did not know that. Former Alabama point guard. Also, Adam Phillips High School. Succeeded Enos Wiley uh, at both uh, Phillips and Alabama as point guard. Did not know that he's up to that. Yeah, he's been there for a while. I thought he was still there, Kerry, and they're beating Cold Springs right now, 33-22 in the third quarter, uh, midpoint in the uh, in the semifinals for 2A. And I had heard in the past that he was on the staff at Altamont. And you know me, I know faces pretty well. And I was looking over there, and I was like, I believe that's Mr. Connor, uh, the first point guard I have memories of of Alabama basketball since, you know, Enos was a little bit before my time as a fan. But Terry was it for me, and uh, I, I hope to be able to meet him at some point during this stay here. I'd like to get my picture with him, actually. But uh, he's, that starting five will always be special to me, Kerry. And then, of course, J.J. Was, uh, Jackson was the sixth man, and that was a great basketball team. And, you know, you could argue the best in Alabama history, but easily in the top three to four. Oh, sure. Um, we uh, we were able to run your uh, excellent interview with Mika Fitzpatrick in hour number one. Want to thank you Appreciate for letting us do that. That was really good stuff. Yeah, thank you, man. I thought it turned out really good, and I'm glad to be able to play it on BAM. You know, lucked into the Christian Bell situation today. Uh, you know, Hoover won this afternoon, and he did not play basketball last year, but played as a freshman and sophomore, and uh, decided to play again as a senior. And I didn't even realize he was in the game until he checked in for about his two minutes off the bench, and he's a big guy. He's a screener, rebounder. He doesn't really play a lot of minutes, but he was on the team, and they got a nice win, so I ran him down afterwards and got a couple of minutes with him. But uh, So that was a lucky situation as well. And, Drew, I guess by the way the seating spell, you have not yet had a chance in this tournament to see Josh Lankford, but you feel those runs. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Josh, those guys in the 3A have not played. Today was the 7A and the 2A, and so – the 3A will be upcoming. We will see those guys. We will see Josh Langford live and in person. Uh, he's coming off a spectacular uh, performance against West Morgan uh, in the area tournament championship game. Kerry, I think he missed one shot. And uh, they beat a very good West Morgan team who went on the road and upset number one Holly Pond. Uh, you know, they beat West Morgan by 25 points and had two close games with him in the regular season. So if Josh is hitting his stride and, and getting uh, right like everybody knows he can, and he can carry that team all the way to Birmingham. We'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, and they're doing this despite the fact that uh, Auburn football signee Kerryon Johnson decided not to play basketball this senior year. Yeah, that's correct. And then for the second straight year, no Malik Miller. So two of your better athletes are not playing. Uh, and they've had some injuries, too, uh, with a couple of guys being out. Uh, I think they've gotten just about all the bullets back in their gun. But, uh, again, they've had some injuries this year with Josh uh, and with one, and another one of their younger guys, one of their inside guys, has also had a, a hand injury. Uh, so 
we will see how that goes. But they, I think that Coach Blackson's finally got everybody back and healthy. And, uh, you know, this is not as talented a team as uh, Coach Blackson has had with as many options to score. And, of course, they don't have the true point guard with, with uh, you know, with the absence of on Johnson. Really, the point guard duties have fallen on Josh Langford and on Lenny Acuff's son, the UAH coach, Will Acuff, even though he's more of a two-guard. But They don't really have a pure point guard with this group, but, you know, with Josh being who he is, he can carry a team, and so they're still very, very dangerous. And what are you hearing uh, at this time about Josh Langford's recruitment? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I've heard he's gone on some visits lately to Auburn, and, uh, you know, I think Auburn thinks they could make a move, but the school that I've been hearing the most buzz about I hear you hear the Dukes and you hear the Kentuckys and stuff like that, but the school that has been the most aggressive that's a high-profile school is Michigan State. Uh, Tom Izzo has been to Madison Academy two times, once in the summer and then three week, about three weeks ago. When I watched, when I, I told you guys, we'll play that audio soon that I've still got from an earlier game with Johnson and uh, in Madison Academy earlier this season when, uh, when Bruce Pearl was there, uh, of course, uh, uh, Auburn head coach. But also a very interesting uh, spectator that I met and took to Andy Blackson's office was the Dane Fife, former Indiana star who's on Tom Izzo's staff. So, you know, Michigan State's been very aggressive with uh, Josh. I don't really think Josh has narrowed it down yet. That'll probably start happening this summer. But, again, we'll see what happens. And uh, Alabama has been, you know, on him since he was a freshman, really an eighth grader. Uh, But we all know the Anthony Grant situation is precarious at best. So we'll see what happens there. Also, Dazon Ingram and the crew, you may have talked about this already, Kerry. Uh, they won this afternoon. Uh, he had 14 points, five rebounds, so they, and they moved on uh, with a very impressive victory. So they are going to play McGill Tulin in the uh, regional finals uh, next week. You know, we thought we were breaking this great story when we had Dazon on live, and uh, he told us he was going to go ahead and sign early with Alabama, and we went with it and all that. But he did an interview with AL.com. Two days ago, Drew, he said that uh, he signed scholarship papers, but not his LOI. So I found it. Oh, wow. Okay, I had had not seen that article. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, Obviously, I'm sure he's going to give, in my opinion, the new head coach a a chance. You know, if Alabama shoots for the stars and can bring in a high-profile guy, uh, you would think Dazon would want to be near his family to, uh, to play at Alabama. So, Obviously, they've signed Austin at Carver. Carver, they play tomorrow, I believe. Uh, so they've they've uh, had a nice run. Uh, you know, Brandon Austin's had a good year. And then the one disappointment was you're not going to get to see uh, Lou Vern and Dante Hall. They got upset in the area tournament. So wanted to see how much maybe that big man had improved. And the other disappointment is uh, the turnaround fadeaway four corner to buzzer by the kid from Vestavia to put Spain Park out. So no Jamal. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and no Aubrey Wiley in the Austin Wiley, yeah, absolutely. I heard about that man. I mean, a four point, and then Vestavia today, you know, got slammed, so they're gone. But again, yeah, they gone. So, uh, but I think Mountain Brook will probably go back to Birmingham. But uh, my alma mater, Huntsville, fell to them today. But Huntsville made a nice Cinderella run, first time ever in the regional. So proud of that situation. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. over here, you know, here at Wallace, uh, Sparkman High School won from the, from my area. Their boys, they did a nice job. And then Hoover came back, made a really nice comeback against Hazel Green to win that game. So uh, Christian Bell, he didn't play a whole lot, but he was into the game, was showing a lot of leadership from the bench. And 
I'm sure we'll play that interview here in a minute. But uh, it was been some good basketball today, and uh, I'm sure there'll be more in the coming days, especially with Josh Langford. And there's going to be a lot of good six A basketball over here at Wallace Carey. I mean, you're going to have matchups. Uh, you know, Coleman will be over here. They've got a very fine team. Uh, they're going they're going to be playing over, here. and then of course uh, everybody's uh, and they're playing Lee High School and. And everybody's anticipating that game. And then, obviously, you're going to have uh, the, the lead generals, uh, or excuse me, the Austin Black Bears here against Athens. So, going to be some fine basketball in uh, 6A over here at Wallace. Probably the most talent as far as one pod for uh, for this regional. Well, Dothan's got quite a bit. Uh, yeah, them with, too as well. Yeah. And, Dothan High. Uh, Dothan yeah. High. and then over at Jacksonville, you've got your, your man, uh, sophomore John Petty and J.O., so. Yeah, they're in 5A. They'll be in the 5A. Disappointed not get to see them over here at Wallace as usual. But Jack Dawson, that crew, they and you know they're on a collision course with Faith Academy. You know, uh, Johnson has not lost. You know, uh, since the Hustle Times Classic, I think Faith is the last team to beat Jo, and uh, and then Faith is on like a 30-game win streak. So uh, they're on a collision course. It could it could seem like. And I wanted to take this opportunity while we can to to thank the good people. Uh, um, Mike Bentley and Steve and all the folks with the North Alabama uh, fan group that hosted us. Uh, we did a kind of a de facto BAMS radio show uh, using just microphones and a PA system. They really enjoyed that format at the Greenbrier in Madison uh, this, this past week. So a good time was had by all at that event. We really enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. Got a lot of good feedback from that. Enjoyed being with the, the folks over there always and, and going over the recruiting class and, you know, Basically, uh, just re- rehashing, you know, and start. And what, what I consider the kickoff to the next season, we really enjoyed being in front of all those folks and their generosity. And uh, it's one of the one of my favorite events of the year. And I uh, enjoyed Freddie Kirby's look back at recruiting. He's been doing it so long, and it was just uh, it was an enjoyable night. Yeah, Altamont, nice, nice little play where they ran on the out of bounds play. Uh, a, a pass that was caught in, in mid-flight near the free-throw line, kicked out for three, hit it from the corner at the buzzer. So it's 46-31, Altamont headed to the fourth quarter over Colt Springs near Coleman. So, you know, Terry Connor and those guys, Coach Bearden is the head coach, Terry Connor's his assistant. Altamont looking strong to uh, reach uh, the, the, fi- the regional final. Uh, they, would, they would play the Tanner Rattlers and, in my opinion, be the favorite over Tanner after what I saw earlier. What is Coach Bearden's first name? Uh, I believe it's Brandon Bearden. Not Barry. Okay. All right, well, we had a player at West End that played against Terry Connor by the day named Barry Bearden. He's a younger guy now. Okay, so he's younger than Terry. Okay. It looks like it, yes. Is Terry still skinny? Oh, yeah, man. He looks like he can play. Yeah. Can't really say that about J.J. Jackson. <laughs> no, not J.J. He's on every rib joint in Montgomery and then some. <laughs> I love old J.J. Yeah, yeah, he's and, uh, and, uh, you know, I wanted to transition. Before I get too far away from football, this is a primarily a football show. We try to cover all Alabama sports and recruiting. But, Drew, I'll I, I tell us about this, and I'll number one uh, a little bit with Thomas, but I want to run it by you as well. Uh, I've had two separate sources in the last 24 hours tell me that things are moving very rapidly as far as the addition of Josh Niblett to Nick Saban's staff. Well, you know, it could happen. I told you he was still in the mix for some things. You know, I heard today that Rob Ezell could be, you know, also in the running, maybe even for director of football operations. Um, and everybody knows that he played for Coach Saban. He's been with Coach McElwain at Colorado State. So, uh, you know, still here. those names are being bandied about. Uh, 
it's going to be interesting. You know, I've I've heard that Coach Niblett was, uh, you know, ready to move on to the college level, and uh, there's been there's still some a few openings at Alabama as far as off the field positions, and we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in one of those slots should he choose that path. Well, I've had two sources tell me that he's willing to do it, and they even yeah. gave me why. And uh, the why is this, Drew, and I'm sure you know this, but I'll, I'll recap what I said in the first five minutes of the show uh, an hour and a half ago now. Josh's brother, uh, Pat, uh, he's going to Foley. Last year. Pat, yeah. And Pat is going to Foley. And uh, yes, Josh, hasn't had, Josh hasn't had a raise in several years, even though he's going back to like state championships. And Pat, um, I one of my sources that knows Josh personally told me that it's probably going to start off as an analyst like the and then move up like Todd Blue Boy did with a couple of things available. But the other source, uh, who is a high school assistant coach, uh, is hearing in the coaching community around the state that Josh actually might get an on-the-field job at Alabama. So either way, it's very intriguing, Drew. Well, it would be. If that happened, it would have to mean the moving of someone, perhaps Bobby Williams, to an off-field spot. Not sure. But unless unless they approve the, the new, uh, another on-field coach, it's been the rumor that the NCAA, you know, I've heard that as well. I mean, that would be ideal. You know, he could coach special teams. I think that, that would be a great starting point for Coach Niblett, and uh, he can help clean some of that up and have that be his sole focus. You know, I think that would be good for Alabama. We'll see. Oh, by the way, I did double-check here. It's, it is Barry Bearden. Okay. He, looks young, he looks younger than uh, than Terry, but who knows? You know, Terry's still looking good himself. Yeah, well, it's Barry, and he played at West End back in the day, and uh, either against Terry or against him. Phil Clef, here right. but I remember the name a uh, very excellent player, about a five eleven guard, if I recall. Uh, yeah, he's about five eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So probably the same guy, just guessing. Uh, and uh, but Drew, uh, just want that value about Niblet, uh It's just very intriguing, and, and it really appears that it that it's going to happen. And uh, then we uh, while we had you on hold, we got a chance to talk to Rod Myers, who's a basically. The Rick Pinman 2.0 official fan of the Alabama baseball team. He gave us an excellent preview, and he's already told us he'll come back on whenever we need him. Uh, we right. talked a little bit about the opening day batting order, and uh, I think we got that pretty much down pat. And uh, I do have one you know, question uh, about that. I'll go back yeah, and listen, ahead. but I'd like to ask: Where, where do they see uh, Avant uh, helping the DH, or what? What is his role going to be? Uh, well, they see Chandler Avant play. Uh, a lot of the uh, yes. probably a leadoff guy. Wow, uh, okay. Roger, Roger called him, and this is an extreme compliment, Drew, called him a right-handed Taylor Dugas. Oh, well, that, that's, yeah, that's, that is an absolutely extreme compliment. But, uh, uh, he said that he's been working in left. He's right. been working third. Uh, right now, it looks like Ryan Branch, Blanchard will, will play left, but that Chandler will get some time out there as well. They could probably platoon out there a little bit. But uh, Chandler is also backing up Daniel Coogan at third and pushing him for the starting job at third. Uh, he, he's been called the most energetic guy. Uh, Kyle, uh, uh, 
not only not a lead out uh, guy that draws out a wall but a guy that's a weight stick and when he does get on can steal. Uh and uh, to the point that they comfortable down uh, yeah, it sounds good, man. I, I I just heard good things about him. You know, following the you know the the uh, the fall scrimmages and everything, he he seemed to be swinging the bat really really well. You know, all the time, and he just, I just felt like he was the guy that was going to impact. And to be honest, I, they need a leadoff guy. If he could get on base a lot, that would be perfect. They kind of struggled there last year. Uh, and George is getting a lot better this year too. He's had a sizzling. Yeah. Uh, oh sizzling. yeah, yeah. Last couple of scrimmages, but Georgie right now is batting second, and Mikey White's batting third, mm-hmm. and uh, Casey Houston is moved from left to right, and he's batting fourth. Uh, Will Haney's hitting has improved, uh, and he's doing well behind the plate. Nobody's really pushing him, Roger said. So uh, looks like all the positions pretty much are show. Overstreet's playing second as as he has for the last two years, but he's also gotten some work at catcher because catcher is his. Uh, projected pro position, but Will Haney right now is the catcher. But you may see from time to time Will Haney DH in, in Overstreet do a little catching, uh, according to Roger. And um, wow. uh, so that's 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 pretty much how things stand around the infield. And uh, they've already announced Gilbo will start tomorrow night, and junior college transfer Will Carter will start Saturday, and then Hoover High grad Jeffrey Glamble will start Sunday. And then we talked about the primary week. Uh, I'll rehab him in a second. That yeah, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what the problem is, and I I can't help him fix that right now. Yeah, it's a channel one, channel two thing. You know, I understand. Uh, number one, through talking channel through the background noise, and that's just, you know. But uh, I tell you what, Drew, uh, as that lady says, that sat behind me when I was scouting Buster Cotton against Brooklyn. Is that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what, what, can be, what can bring that much screaming in a 15-point game? I don't know, man. It's, these fans are into it. It's, this is actually not as bad as it could have been because – I think when tomorrow when Coleman's here, oh Lord! I mean, Cold Springs is local, but geez, yeah. it's yeah. going to be deafening. We have to wear headsets a lot of times to do the live stats. And to be honest, I've never tried to do a Skype call from one of these things. I didn't know how it would go. And uh, well, I tell, your call is great. You're, you sound great. It's just the background noise every now and yeah, the background noise. I was like, well, the background noise is obviously going to be a problem. But no, but that sounds great, man. I look forward to hearing the preview, posting it on the Intel site. I really like somebody that goes to practice. I'm, I'm excited about Will Carter. Uh, you know, I know he throws hard in the '90s. You know, he's a guy that at JUCO that they got. Uh, they, they, he, you know, they were able to out recruit North Carolina. He's somebody they were afraid, you know, would get drafted and maybe signed. So. He's a, somebody that can be an impact guy. Bramlett showed flashes last year. You know, I thought two years ago or three, even three, Gilbo would be a rotation guy. He's mainly been a midweek or a middle reliever. Hopefully he can have a big-time senior season. He came out of Louisiana with a lot of talent. And I think the bullpen, you know, you know you've got obviously Thomas Burroughs at the back end. Best closer in the uh, league. Yeah, and he did a great job last he's year. He's not Craig Kimball's what he is. <laughs> yeah, out of, you know – out of you know, obviously, uh, in the Florence area, and just did a great job at uh, Mars Hill Bible School, and and obviously, I'd like Ray to be able to have a good junior year. I don't think he's ever 
you know, he, he had a really good two-thirds of a freshman season and then kind of a flat line near the end of his freshman year and then struggled last year when they tried to make him a starter. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think he could be a good long relief guy or a two-inning guy. We'll see how that works. What 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 kind of how how they look? How does Castillo throw the ball? Have they been happy with it? We didn't get to that. Um, but, you know, we wanted to bring you on. Uh, didn't, right. I didn't ask about Castillo, but we did confirm that the midweek starters primarily going to be Nick Eichholz. Uh, oh yeah, not Nick. Yeah, he had a good freshman year. He's got a chance to excel. He's from the. Sarasota, Florida area, and right. I think he can be a quality arm. I think that, you know, if Will Carter comes through and, you know, Bramlett matures, I still think, you know, they're, they're having to replace a lot of pitching, especially in the rotation, but I still think they could be effective. We'll see. You know, I think Dax, Dax has done a good job with those guys. I've been more, you know, concerned about the hitting situation, but if uh, they can find a true leadoff, man, and Georgie should be a really good player, and Mikey White speaks for himself. And Overstreet as well. And they, uh, Roger yeah. made the point that, uh, uh, you know, as a lefty, he felt like that uh, Taylor Gilbo benefited a whole lot from a 30-minute man-to-man conversation he was able to have a few days ago with practice guest Andy Pettit. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. I got to admit, man, when he, that is the one thing with Andy Phillips. If you play for the Yankees, you never know who's going to show up to practice. Right, and Andy Pettit, one of the better lefties to ever take the mound in the big leagues in the modern era. Money picture, uh, brother. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm not a Yankee fan, but you got to respect greatness, and he was great. And uh, he had a very long 30-minute conversation with Taylor Gilbo, and uh, hopefully some of that rubbed off. Uh, it certainly can't hurt to have guys like that come in and talk to guys that you're counting on. And Taylor's going to be the starter tomorrow night. Drew Maryland Eastern Shore left last night and made a 14-hour bus drive to Hoover. Oh, and so they're, uh, they're here now. And uh, they'll, they'll start things off. It's going to be very cold out there. Yes, it will. I admire people like uh, like Roger that that persevere through weather like that. Uh, and, and as I mentioned earlier, Drew, uh, I got a chance last Friday to go to the uh, Alabama gymnastics team's 111th victory in a row over Auburn and met my unofficial niece, Caitlin Clark, senior gymnast yeah. from the Tide, and uh, got a, got a picture made with her, cute little girl, and uh, I'll talk to and uh, they are at home tomorrow night against Boise. And it's a two-part important week because it's the power of peak leader. So they raise all the money for uh, cancer research. But it's also a meet where they're going uh, to honor Sarah and Dave Patterson uh, for their uh, over 30 years of service to the university. So tomorrow night, uh, the sixth-ranked gym title will host uh, – Boys, and then also talked about Drew and got a little insight from Thomas because he saw the first game, the uh, the great start, seven and zero now by the uh, third and fourth line Alabama softball team. Yeah, absolutely. They've uh, started off really well. Uh, you know, I I noticed a young freshman from Huntsville, Texas, from Huntsville High School in the other state. I guess the bigger state. Uh, she's uh she did a great job and uh, was I think a. Yeah, Demi Turner. She was 11 for 17, I think. Uh, and, she's raking. and played a pretty good second base as well, I'm told. Yeah, she's raking. And I remember when they signed her, you know, I thought she had a chance to be a good player. But, wow, 11 to 17. Can't get much hotter than that. You know, when you're when you're hotter than the girl in front of you, who's, in my opinion, one of the best, you know, play Haley McClaney, one of the best softball players that ever going to come through Alabama. When you're out hitting her, you're really doing something. And uh, it was a big win to come back and beat a good South Alabama team the first game, too. Uh, 
uh, quality opponent, uh, especially in an opener with a great pitcher, and to scrap and find get two runs in your last at bat. That was with Chandler Dare, the local girl. You know, being a big part of that. That was a big win for Alabama. And I think say you know, Little John looks like she's really improved, and she may be the ace. And she did a great job pitching. You know, the first uh, the first uh, week or so. And uh, Drew, I know it probably made your eyes bleed a little bit, but. Uh, Talk a little bit about what went through your mind following the uh, tough uh, 55-51 win at the State of the Men's Basketball. Okay, I'm going to admit something, fellas. Didn't watch a second. Oh, wow. Um, I followed it. I knew what was going on. I knew, you know, Coop had the flu. Kessins uh, played basically on one foot. Obviously, no Tarrant, no Retton. Uh, they persevered. They gutted it out. They got to win over a team that's played a lot better the last month and a half. But I, I'm not gonna lie. It was, I, I I've gotten to the point where I'm still gonna watch these guys play. But that night, I just I wasn't. I got. I, I guess the best way to put it is I just wasn't in the mood. <laughs> and uh, it's just tough to watch. I was very proud of the team. Obviously, they're still playing hard. Uh, I think they got a winnable game Saturday. But. I'm still being told that if he doesn't make the dance, it's over. Uh, Paul Feinbaum is reporting that, and I know who Feinbaum talks to. I'm hearing some, you know, things from close to someone that you know very well that that, that, that they're that anyway, I'm very encouraged by what I hear as far as targets go. But uh, and again, uh, well, you know, I've heard <laughs> the first name I heard. I don't think will will leave the NBA, uh, but I don't blame them for calling, and that's Brad Stevens. Uh, but the, but from a couple of people that I think that are, that know uh, Greg Marshall personally, uh, that had, one of them coached him in rec ball and has known his dad for 40 years. Alabama has let it be known that he I think he is going to be the top guy, and that it's going to be mega bucks. Now the only thing that I've heard that is off the table, and that would have to come years down the road when the program gets established, but. The only thing off the table with the new with the new guy would be a new, a, a new arena immediately. Uh, you know that's not going to happen. But you know uh, if, if you're five six years in and you're winning games, it'll Mark Godfrey's uh, thirty million dollar renovation will be ancient history by then. They have built the indoor practice facility when Grant came, so they got one of one of the best in the country there. But eventually, I think that arena would happen. But I think they would wait till the the program stabilized itself uh, and started to win. But, again, the money that I'm hearing is $3 million per year, and if and all I've been told is that would turn his head. And I would think so, considering he makes $1.75 million. And, you know, that ain't $3 million a year, that's big-time money, guys, if that, if that happens. Well, he told Missouri not long ago, not this year, but a year or two ago, that he would come for six years, $3 million per, and they, they claimed they couldn't pay that. Yeah, Alabama's got the money. Well, and oh, then, yeah. you know, a very good friend has a radio show, and they had a young guy call in, and he knows some people in the Capstone Foundation. He said, well, guys, I'm just going to let you know. I'm not going to give you my real name, but he goes, I know people close to the Capstone Foundation. And he said, uh, last year they didn't really have the money. Uh, they bought, you know, the, the uh, lake house of the adjacent lake house that Coach Saban owned. Uh, that he was trying to sell next to his late Burton property. They bought that for him and gave it back to him. And he said, but I'll tell you this right now, this year they have the money. The money is not an issue, and they realize what they have to do because of the guy across the state who may not be winning, Kerry, but he's winning the PR battle. 
and you know he's getting on radio, getting on TV. And personally, yeah. I love I love it because it's going to make Alabama have to do something. I think Pearl is overrated as a coach, but obviously I think he knows how to promote, and he's getting the sport out in the front and center. And Alabama needs to, you know, counter the move and counter it with an even better one. And I think they can do so if they put their money where their mouth is. Right, right. And that's that's all very encouraging. And uh, my gut says that a change will be made. Um, it, there was a time when I thought the NIT would be good enough, but I don't even think it will now. Um, well, it, it's all about NTT, Kerry. And what really bothered me, and I watched some of it, but it was extremely hard to watch, was – you know, I, and I was on the road for much of it, though. I mean, when you have thousands of people in town for signing day, and you and I both know a lot of people come into Tuscaloosa to celebrate and all that kind of stuff, and you have a home basketball game and you draw 3,000 people, that's alarming. It I mean, is. You really but need that crowd to, that. to be a big crowd, and it just was not very good. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, a lot of fans are, are tired of these. Uh, weeknight 8 o'clock ball games. Yeah, and go ahead, Gary, with your thoughts. I was saying I, I think a lot of fans are also tired of 8 o'clock weeknight games, courtesy of our friends at oh. SEC Network. Oh, no, no, that, those are tough, Gary. Don't get me wrong. This was, but, when, you know, but when it's signing day, it's kind of a special situation since you're already in town. And I just, think, I just really think the offensive style, I know it's worn on me. It's just wearing on everybody. And, I mean, you just want to see a more exciting brand. And if not, you want to win. And Alabama is not winning enough. And, and we'll see. I mean, one of the big litmus tests is going to be, uh, you know, less than a week from today. You know what's going on next Tuesday. And, uh, you know, the, Auburn has not played good basketball lately. I mean, they did upset LSU to their credit. Great road win. But then they get thumped by Arkansas. They haven't even really been winning at home. But you know that Alabama will get their best shot. I mean, it would be sweet to sweep Auburn. And I think they have the capability to do so. But, of course, the health situation of the roster is not helping. Yeah, and I'm not hearing good things at all about Ricky Tarrant. I don't, I don't know when or if he'll even be yeah. back this year. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't. It sure, it sure is lingering. Yeah. Uh, they get rid of that. Yeah. I would think anyway. they probably would. Yeah. And uh, we got a compliment on Twitter already, Thomas, about our interview with Roger Myers as far as uh, Paige Hopman being very happy with us. Uh, nice. Previewing the baseball. I'm sure that we'll hear from Paige in the next few weeks about baseball as well. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, I, I think I'm going to save this uh, offer there because it's so long for next week, through. I got a list of 100 Alabama offers. Uh, oh, well, we all yeah. both know that they're not they're not committable. All of them. Some of them are committable now. Oh, yeah. Some of the five stars, right. but some of them are what we call uh, camp offers, uh, and they're coming in daily now. Uh, it's it's really an interesting situation. One thing we didn't touch on, Drew, and I want to get your input on this before we before we we, we have a little thirty minute buffer that, that we're going to probably use a lot of since we got you on so late. Uh, it's three minutes after the hour, but we have a buffer for 27 more minutes that we can do Bams Radio for you. So you may get a two-and-a-half-hour show this year, listeners. I can extend uh, it to three if we're that desperate, too. And that's, uh, that's a click. Yeah, that's – well, we'll keep that in mind. I'm not sure it'll get that way out. Because some of the stuff I was going to do this week with Drew regarding the 100 offers, I'm going to save and do do offensive offers next week and defensive offers the following week for the 2016 class. But, Drew, one thing I want you to address because you've got – as good a sources as anybody on but is the current disciplinary situation with running back Tyron Jones. Yeah, um, 
he Tyron has got you know he, he built up a, an accumulation of demerit uh, with Nick Saban's uh, discipline system, which has to do with you know late for class, missing workouts, uh, could 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 involve you know uh, a failed drug test. Um, you know, he, he had some situations, you know, that built up, that got him involved. involved starting off to Burton Burns and then well, yeah, well, the ball when you were in the plant. Yeah, that doesn't help. But, but uh, also, yeah, as I reported, yes, he, I mean, he was supposed to be a, a more integral part of the offense and right before he left for New Orleans, had a disagreement in the meeting with Burton Burns. That doesn't help. And then, you know, he had a legal situation. So, and that kind of put it over the top. You know, he's not, he, he was, has not been participating in the fourth quarter program and indefinite suspicion that, Suspension is away from all team activities. Uh, do note tonight he was spotted at the rec center playing basketball, uh, but not with the rest of the guys. I know his parents have been calling and complaining about his playing time. Why, well, you know, I can understand that a little bit, but when your son can't stay out of trouble, I mean, that trumps everything. Uh, I've heard he has a chance to work his way back. Will be a long process if he does. But it's, I think it's basically a 50-50 proposition if he ever plays uh, this coming fall. Yeah, I think I would not be surprised if he went the way of all C-10 Penny. That's why it was very important to bring in Bo Scarborough, who's made a great impression. Uh, Coach Burton Burns has been very impressed with him in the meeting room and, and, and his, with his ability on the practice field. And then also to get Damian Harris, the top high school running back in America from Berea, Kentucky. You get those two guys in and let them compete, uh, you know, behind Derrick Henry and uh, Kenyon Drake. And then, of course, I think it just means you're going to sign a couple of running backs in the next class. Minimum two, maybe three if one of them's a fullback. Uh, right. Also, what it does is it takes the possible red shirt off Damian Harris, and it even maybe even gives a shot to some garbage time playing time or special teams playing time for the Sherry's Flowers. It could. It really could. I mean, they're going to try to bulk the Sherry's up, I think. I still think he'll probably red shirt, but – Damien Harris is an elite talent. If he can come in there and, as Coach Burns said, he's a, the real deal, and he's a, they they think he's a, you know very articulate. They like him and Bo a lot. If they come in, you know, Damien won't be here until May, late May. But if he comes in there and does his job, you know, he could eat, he could break in. Kenyon Drake was too good to keep on the bench, so we will see what happens with Damien. I see a tweet by you about uh, also out to a junior college offensive. Tackle. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Charles Baldwin, 6'5", 305, William Redfish Barger. I think he's an excellent pass blocker. He's a build-up and to get, get more physical at the point of attack as far as run blocking. It's interesting because he's from Asa College in Brooklyn, New York, Kerry. And as you know, that is the same school that produced Leon Brown, who just yep. moved on. But uh, he was verbally offered yesterday by Mario Cristobal. And I think Mario is going to try to bring in three tackles. And if he brings in three tackles, I think he'd like to bring in Willie Allen, another high school OT that can maybe, you know, uh, project on either side. And then a junior college guy that could uh, come in and maybe be a right tackle but could impact because, as you know, uh, the projected right tackle going into spring practice is Dominic Jackson, and he's already going to be a senior. Right. And uh, Well, right now I think he'd be more of a left. He's more of a finesse guy, but you, you never know. If he can uh, graduate early and build his body up, he can play the right side. I mean, uh, most people uh, had thought – most people thought Leon Brown would be a tackle, and he ended up being a guard most of his sophomore year, so you never know. So we'll just have to wait and see. And uh, But, again, Baldwin was offered yesterday, and a lot of people thought with Dominic being a senior – 
you know, Coach Saban's had, you know, uh, he, he's had Carpenter, uh, obviously, who uh, had a good two-year run in 2009, 2010. And, uh, and then, obviously, uh, they brought in Leon, and now they've brought in uh, Dominic Jackson. So uh, they've, they've been active in recruiting junior college offensive linemen. Right, and that's good to hear. Uh, really, really, really good to hear. Uh, I guess based on tonight's Southeastern Conference basketball results, Drew, uh, I know you get alerted every time Cecil does a tweet, but this is especially painful. Uh, Ole Miss has four basketball wins in the start of this year. Alabama has Yeah, that, that, that's another reason why we're likely to have a regime, regime change. Uh, the blowing of the game this year, which was so winnable. Florida, as you know, Terry, they played very well against Kentucky but lost the game. Lose to Ole Miss tonight. They're an NIT team at best. It's Billy's weakest team in almost a decade, and then you still can't. Uh, they may not be, guys. I mean, they're 500. I'm just I, I'm giving them enough credit where they might get enough wins to get in the NIT, but I dang sure know they're not going to play in the NCAA. As sad as it sounds, the NIT would take us. they got a four right now. <laughs> Maybe so, as of, as, of, as, of, as of this time, yeah. Well, what's the more intriguing NIT matchup to you, Drew, uh, for Alabama? Would it be NC State or UAB? Uh, I'd rather play UAB. I don't want any part of NC State. Not with a well, not with a makeup of this team. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be thinking that they they'd get the home game and Trevor Lacey go off for thirty, and it would just be something I wouldn't want to witness. That's fair. But we owe you a B back from when we beat us in 1993. Yeah, that, that's what yeah. I was thinking, too. They're a young team. I that's think Alabama, that Alabama would probably host. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and I think it's a very winnable game. And for the people that are saying, oh, well, UAB's in first place in their conference right now. Well, they're tied with two or three other teams, uh, including Louisiana Tech, coached by Michael White, another guy on Alabama's list, I'm sure. Uh, but they're going to have to be – well, the only way UAB is going to make the NCAA tournament is to win their conference tournament. That's a one-bid league, and the yeah. conference tournament winner gets it. They're not taking another team from that league. So uh, chances are UAB is uh, just as much the NIT prospect as the University of Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. This, this game, Kerry, right here, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, I think uh, UAB has a long hill to climb. They've improved a lot. Coach Hass has done a great job with that young group. William Lee seems to be hitting his stride, and, you know, they obviously they've got uh, you know Lewis Sullivan. He's recruited and the young man from U at Trustville. He's recruited the state well and got to give him a lot of credit. Uh, they're going to have a hard time though in the, in their league. It's going to be a one bid league from now on, whether they stay in Conference USA or move to the A Sun or wherever, whatever happens with UAB. But still, I think he's done a good job building that program. William Lee's averaging a little under six points and, and right around five rebounds. He, he's not tearing it up, but he's he's become a solid contributor. And he'd be a more solid contributor if, if we'd been able to reel him in. But that wasn't due to lack of effort. He just chose not no. to come to Alabama. Exactly. Uh, another guy might have been able to reel him in. But, well, know. and then another guy that I was wrong about, Isaac Cause at Purdue. I mean, that guy, that guy can play seven feet. And, you know, Joe King's son, and he's, he's going to have a good career in the Big Ten. And Alabama could have used that big body as well. Yep, and uh, they got one big body coming in. Dante Hall from Cleveland is around 6'10", around the yeah. 20 or so. He's got to bulk up some. And then there'll be, uh, no matter who the coach is, there'll be a, a big effort given in the spring signing period. 
to uh, to bring in a JUCO or some type of big man from from somewhere, be a transfer or something. But they really don't need a transfer to have to sit out. They need somebody to play next yeah. year. Yeah, impact absolutely. You know, and if you get the guy, you need to get the guy hired and before the April signing period and let him go to work and see what's available. Well, I'll tell you what, Gary. Uh, yeah, basketball's yeah. a funny game. I mean. Altamont dominated this game for most of it, but in the last two minutes, it's gotten real interesting. It's a five-point game with about 20-something seconds to go, and, uh, you know, two threes have rimmed out for Cold Springs. or We're talking a real Maalox masher. So, is it basically free throws now? Well, it was. Uh, another long three from Cold Springs is no good, and rebound by Altamont. I think it may finally be over, but Altamont had to sweat this one out. Well, that's interesting. I really had no idea that, that Terry Connor was an assistant coach. That's, that's great information, dude. Absolutely. And uh, I guess, oh, I wanted to tell you one more thing regarding hour number one. Uh, I know you can go back and listen to this, but we had Mike Quinnival on from the Post and Tide. Oh, Mike. yes. Great job out there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're 23, 3, and 2. Yep. But it's being stirred this eternal. Yeah. Right here, uh, the regional ranking, they have to finish uh, either first or second in the southeast regional ranking to get a, a, a an automatic. Yes. No, not yet. It's uh, last 17 seconds. Okay. Well, anyway. If, if they get a regional ranking of first or second, they'll get an automatic bid to the Sweet 16 in Pelham. They're, they're hosting the, the Nationals this year. Uh, yes. If they don't, if they get ranked third and below, and the rankings come out in the next few hours, they're going to have to figure out a way to bust or take fans or whatever down to Orlando and play oh, wow. regional and win the regional in Orlando. And there's teams down there like Central Florida and Florida Atlantic that have that handed them two of their three losses this year. So that's not what they want to do. They won't be the straight bid to the 16. But uh, yep. they're sitting on pins and needles right now waiting to hear from the body that governs uh, D3 hockey and let them know where they stand as far as if they're going to get going out there. But Coach Q gave us a good team from the He was great as always. Uh, he explained to us that by day, he sells the next part. And, uh, by night, he coaches close time hockey. Uh, he actually played at UAA, I didn't realize that. Uh, and he coached UAA to win the game up in Alabama. I guess UAA hockey at some point went away with football. Yeah, kind of. I mean, they still have the program, but it's kind of struggling. And it's hit some, it's hit some rough patches in D1. Uh, they've had a hard time transitioning. And they were a power in Division Two and won a few national championships. But uh, it's just they've, uh, they've had several coaching changes. And, they haven't been able to kind of find the magic again. Well, uh, other than, well, women's basketball is struggling mightily. They still only have one conference win in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Men's basketball, we've, we've beaten that horse to death three or four times, raised it from the dead and beat it again. We know where that stands. But I have to say, Drew, that with baseball being ranked in the 20s, the, the low 20s, uh, yes. gymnastics being ranked number six and, and, and getting better every week, Softball being ranked third in one and fourth in the other. This is a time of year when Alabama can really show America that it's more than just a football season. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to baseball season. They came very close last year to winning the regional at Florida State, lost to Kennesaw State. That was disappointing. 
they did in Jameis Winston's baseball career. So they had, do have that, and uh, they had a pretty good run. And they, if, they, if the pitching comes through, they have a chance with, 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 with Avant being an addition to have a good lineup, and I think they can have a good team. And huge mistake by Altamont there. You don't throw the ball deep if you don't complete it, guys. You give, it, you give up a basketball and you're under your own basket. What's the time in score now? Luckily, they all they just need to do is not foul. There's a little under two seconds, and they're up five. But okay. you know, if that's a three-point game, that's a disaster. But you know, if that happened through. In, in addition to the Alabama men's team throwing the ball to six straight guys, two consecutive layups from under their own goal, going from an eight-point lead to a four-point lead in four seconds. But he almost fouled the guy. Well, that's what I'm saying, guys. I'm glad I didn't watch it. I got my blood pressure up. And by the way, Cold Springs made a three at the buzzer, so they lost 59-57. <laughs> okay. Well, good for Terry Connor and his crew. Yeah, they win. They win that to uh, to go ahead and advance. That's excellent. Good to hear. Um, Good to know, and I hope you get a chance to uh, talk to Coach Connor. Uh, well, we have gone two hours and, and 17 minutes, and I'm pretty much out of stuff to talk about. I want to save the offensive offers for next week and the defensive offers for two weeks from now. And also, we'll have four softball and four time next week because the men's basketball team's got a winnable game. They really have two winnable games, but as you said, Drew, all of them give them their best shot next Tuesday, but uh, Vanderbilt, uh, which apparently gave away a game to Tennessee last night. Oh, yeah. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt is coming in Saturday for an Alabama home game. And if Alabama can play effective zone defense and shut down the three-point shooting, I think we can agree that's an extremely winnable ball game. Uh, no doubt about it. I think it's an extreme, extremely winnable game. Uh, I expect them to win Saturday. You know, hopefully they'll give a good effort against Auburn. Uh, you know, they've I know they'll play hard, but Auburn will be. I'll have a mat on for Alabama, and it'll be. They'll be. They're going to want revenge after you know Alabama came back and snatched you know you know victory from the jaws of defeat after Auburn had a nine point lead and within you know five six minutes of the game, Levi Randolph took that game over. So, looking forward to you know kind of. I still want to see how they react. I want to. Hopefully they'll play well Saturday. And then I also wanted to ask you, Kerry, because again I missed the first hour. Did you guys play the uh, Christian Bell audio? No, no, we didn't. Uh, okay, I guess I guess we can hold that for next week. Yeah, we, we can hold that for next week. It just goes into he goes into the, why he when he, his mindset and what he decided to do as far as our gray shirt goes and okay and you know uh, he uh, I, I wanted to ask him specifically about that because there was so much uh, you know uh, talk about it and uh, he gave me a nice couple of minutes and. Uh, again, uh, we'll, we'll we'll play that next week. But again, hopefully uh, the baseball team can get off to a nice start this weekend. Uh, they should have a good chance to sweep. Hopefully, softball can continue to play well, and they're highly ranked. And as you said, who, men, men's basketball, who knows day to day basis. Uh, right now, they just need to worry about each individual game, and hopefully, they can have a two little two game win streak with a nice home win Saturday against the Commodores. Very, very possible. And uh, 
before we uh, before we close out this week's show, uh, Drew, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners? Uh, no, I just want to thank everybody for hanging in there with me. <laughs> uh, I do this once a year with Wallace State. Love the regionals. Uh, love uh, you know uh, coming down here to see a lot of good high school basketball. Uh, you know, you, you, I took the dive to see how this would work from the gym. Uh, a little bit loud. I know uh, the reception wasn't great at times. I wish I could have heard the, been able to participate in the baseball discussion. But I look forward to him, to him coming on again and helping us out. I, I, you know how big a baseball fan I am, and I'll go back and listen to that. And I thank you guys for uh, putting up, putting together a quality show and uh, and how having me on. And uh, again, uh, looking forward to being here another two days. We're going to take a break Sunday, and then I'll be back here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then be back home for next week's Bams Radio Show and. Uh, hopefully we'll have some good guests lined up uh, next week. I'm sure we will. And if you get a chance, try to get us a little interview with Josh Langford as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we'll easily can do that. Uh, Coach Blackston as well. Hopefully they're going to play well. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, we can also play uh, what we need to also – I need to uh, – I can also get us another interview, uh, kind of get an update from Austin Troxel, who I think is a offensive tackle prospect that also plays center for the Mustangs. Uh, that uh, was someone that Alabama is going to be very interested in in the future and someone coming up in the, in the next few short months in the, for the camp circuit uh, that it will be visiting Alabama probably on multiple occasions. Uh, lifelong Alabama fan, and he's six foot eight, 275-pound sophomore. Already done a story on him on Alabama Intel, but he's someone that Alabama fans are going to be watching closely in the couple years to, in the two years to come. Yeah, I'll say this about Austin Chalk, so uh, – I got a chance to see him play in the playoffs against. Yes, you did. That's correct. And Austin is a listen very carefully, fans. He is a pure left tackle. Yes. Uh, yes. So yes. even if you get Willie Allen, you can bring Austin in there and have him ready to, to feed Willie. So uh, we, we're going to come up with a good succession plan at left tackle. It used to be quarterback that we had these conversations about, but now it's left tackle. So yeah, go ahead and try to get that as well. That'll be great. And uh, appreciate you uh, joining us tonight from the uh, the Northwest Regional. I know you'll have a lot of ball. You can talk with us next Thursday night when we come on from uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time at www.bamsradio.com. Uh, well, much more, quieter, Huntsville. <laughs> yes, much quieter. Much quieter. These sports and shorts again, not usual. But, uh, yes. the, uh, and, of course, uh, you know, thanks to our barbecue sponsor, Big Heads Barbecue, uh, Check them out on the web at BigHeadsBBQ.net or on Twitter at BigHeadsBBQ. And uh, I went ahead and invited Coach Q to join us. Since he knows Chuck Peak, but he's never had his barbecue, I went ahead and invited Coach Q uh, to join us today day at the BAM Tent to get his first wow. shot at some Big Heads BBQ. So that'll be cool, Drew. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully getting to meet Coach Q and want to congratulate him on the job he's done with the Frozen Tide. Right, and uh, he was going to send me a private message on Twitter if they heard anything before the end of the show regarding their seating. They haven't heard that yet, so uh, we'll be able to report that to you next week as well. But uh, it is 22 minutes after the hour. Uh, we've gone over a little bit, but I think we had a lot of information to present tonight, and the uh, the Mika Fitzpatrick interview was great. The Coach Q was great, and Roger Myers was wonderful. We definitely have our new baseball correspondent, and, but we're not going to drop Paige. We're going to still bring her in every now and then, too to give the parents perspective. But for Thomas Watts for Touchdown Alabama Magazine, our producer, or Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com, and thanks again to that group for the Minka interview. Uh, I am Kerry Clark, your co-host from uh, BattleMag.com and Scout.com. 
You've been listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. Good night, everybody, and roll tide.